Mr. Strongman, what's good? Mr. Talks, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. How's your um, how's your night going? It's morning for me. It's night for you. My night is going well. I told you earlier, right? Where there's a party hall next to me now temporarily, so mm-hmm. we found a good time where they're silent, so we can record our episode in peace. Otherwise, they're doing their dance and music all day. Do you ever do any kind of wedding crashing? Not really. Although I, I've had friends who wanted to do it. I just don't see the point of it. Like, what do you get out of it? Like a bad meal. A <laughs> bad meal. Yeah, a literally how, bad meal. How big are the weddings over there? It depends. How rich are you? Let's it's say you're semi-rich. To, it's proportional to how rich you are. For example, I've been to some weddings where the groom and the bride were not rich or poor or lower middle class. And those weddings are smaller. The food is not as good. There are fewer people, not as good decorations. The clothes are rented, etc. So it's still a happy occasion, of course, but not as much celebration. And I've been to weddings where the person was rich. I mean, like $100 million net worth and above. And their weddings are far too lavish. They'll spend like $3 million on a wedding. And there'll be like 2,000 people. Yeah, that comes down to about 20, 25 crores. Yeah, that's not that rare for people who have $100 million. See, you have to understand the Indian perspective where... A wedding is considered to be a once-in-a-lifetime occasion where you're supposed to splurge. And people will think this way, that I only have one child or two children, and if I don't even spend on their wedding, what is the point of having money? So people in India will spend money thoughtlessly on a wedding, and rich people will spend a ton of money. And in their weddings, the food is actually good. Those weddings are worth crashing. But for the rest, I don't see the point. You will have like mean. a big stage. You'll have the Dulhan the Dulhan on the stage. And the thing about Indian weddings is that the groom and the bride, the Dulhan and Dulhan, they don't know anybody at the wedding except some of their friends. So out of the 2,000 people at the wedding, maybe they know like 20 people. The rest are random family members from the extended family, their wives, their children, etc., etc. And the, the wedding is not particularly about the groom and the bride in India. It's more of getting the two families together, all the entire family, and mm. feeding them and you know showing them some programs, etc. And weddings over there, they're not a day long, right? They, they last for a week. Yeah, it depends. You know, like I said, it depends on how big your budget is. Some people will get married in a day and it'll be done, or like two days, three days, and some people's weddings will take two weeks. Two weeks? What Two weeks for that? all the for all the what do you say the customs and the traditions to happen. So there are different traditions. In one tradition, you have to bathe in haldi, uh, turmeric, and that's supposed to cleanse you. I don't really know. Then there's like a a thing where they put henna on your entire body and design you up essentially. Then there are different parties that happen for different groups of people, and it, it's a it's a long and drawn out process. Of course, not all the guests are not invited for all 14 days. They're invited only to specific days, but the entire process takes about 14, 15 days. That's so long because I thought the max it went up for was just one week. But you're saying if it's a very lavish wedding, it could be 
like a spectacle. Are there alcohol in the weddings or is that frowned upon? It depends on the culture. So there are certain states in India where alcohol is considered to be a bad thing. And in those places, you will neither find alcohol nor, nor you'll find meat. And there are places where these are not taboo things. And in those, those weddings, mm-hmm. you will find a lot of alcohol, a lot of meat, and other vices if you are into them. Okay. See, with weddings, man, I mean, it's an atmosphere. And the Eastern weddings are so much different than Western weddings. Where with East weddings, do you guys also have the best man speech, those sort of stuff? Groomsmen? Not particularly, right? Not particularly. Mm-hmm. See, like I told you, you don't really know many people at your wedding. And most people at the wedding don't know who you are. They're just there to eat and, you know, meet a few people and then go home. Yeah. You know, meet the, they're mostly there to meet the bride's mother and father. They don't give a shit about you. <laughs> and it, it must be so annoying. Like, because yeah, you're just ahead. like you're just pretty much being fake and just being like, "Hey, nice to meet you." Oh, you're this person's uh, relative. Nice to meet you. And you just have this fake smile on for <laughs> a couple of days to possibly fourteen days. Yeah, and I've heard that the bride and groom their jaws start to hurt, so they have to take breaks from smiling, like go to their rooms and stop smiling because their faces hurt from smiling. Hmm. There was this one week, Harsh, where I went to. Uh, western based wedding and an eastern based wedding and it was so different where with the western based wedding like the best man speech like that's the highlight of the wedding obviously there's dancing and there's open bars and stuff but the best man speech you better nail it and if you go on youtube you'll see a lot of these viral videos of successful best man speeches now if you go I think you east, have one right i do I, have I, one I, yeah yeah it's going like it is bubbling up in a certain niche uh, for like a brother gives brother a best man speech. Um, but then in the Eastern weddings, it's like it's the dancing. It's the music that's the centerpiece. And any every now and then when you introduce a best man speech there, a lot of the guests, they're like, who is this idiot? Get him off stage already so we could drink and party. <laughs> that's what I noticed, at least from the weddings here. I would say the most significant difference is that in a Western wedding, you take your vows to a priest. Like the priest will ask you, will you take me as a wife or will you take this person as your husband? And you say, I do or I do not. But in Eastern or at least in Indian Hindu weddings, you don't make any promises to a priest. It's done directly to God and you're offering things into a fire. Hmm. So the pandit, the, the priest guy, is essentially just telling you what to say. These are your vows. But you're making the vows into the fire. And uh, you're sacrificing, say, ghee or other things in the fire as your sacrifice. So the vow is made directly to God. I think in Western cultures, it's made to a priest. Yes, that's true. And what's the... Like, imagine you do a like one of these posh, lavish weddings, uh, how often do those end up in divorces? I feel like there's more incentive to not get a divorce than it's like, hey, the wedding costs $3 million. So you're literally with me through <laughs> through death. Nowadays, it's not that uncommon to get divorced. Of course, it's still rare. It's like maybe 2% of cases end up in a divorce. But 
it's not as common i will definitely say that in these kind of weddings right where there's a big sum of money involved the couples tend to be more they tend to be way more affluent and i don't i, I don't i don't think we have a general theory in the sense i don't have a general stereotype for all of these people but i've seen more good weddings than bad weddings in the sense that i know fewer rich people who have gotten divorced very few mm-hmm. of course not always they're not always in a happy marriage right but they don't get divorced usually or sometimes they do but it's not it's not very common see think about it from a girl's perspective right let's say a girl is 33 years old now let's say she gets married at 26 25 at 33 in india as a divorcee she's ngmi she's it's very very hard for her to find a husband now so she has no incentive to divorce likewise for a guy he's going to lose a fuck ton of money if he divorces so he doesn't have the incentive to divorce so if you mm-hmm. can go through the girl's younger years your chances of divorce go down significantly i think most divorces happen when say the girl is 25 23 24 and she sees her friends out there partying and having fun and she's out here in the house married and she looks at her friends and she feels the fomo you know hey i should be doing that and i'm stuck here and then her marriage becomes resentful i think that causes a lot of divorce in young people mm are people getting married at that young age or are they pushing it back later and later they're pushing it back later and later right uh, i think any country where you have women educated the age of marriage keeps increasing because think about it let's say a woman is getting her college degree she's going to get her college degree by the age of 22 then i'm assuming she's going to want to work say two to one and a half years before she gets married so she's doing her career thing she is working late nights and now she's 24 and a half maybe even 25 well now the you know the hunt for a husband begins and that doesn't happen overnight right that might take a year maybe two years to find a suitable husband and by that time she's 26 sometimes 27 28 sometimes even 29 because some girls will you know increase their career time by a lot and in almost every single country the more educated women are the later marriages tend to happen i think in islamic countries it might slightly be an exception if you take saudi arabia or something but in countries where women are educated and they have free choice they end up marrying later which is detrimental to the birth rate of any civilization according to lky lee kuan yew from singapore who was their president or prime minister i'm not sure who the head is and if you've seen that funny speech where he lectures a phd student he tells her how old are you mm-hmm. <laughs> and he asks her if she has a boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> well, who is this this is this guy lky lee kuan yew is in no uncertain terms a complete genius and he is a person who transformed Singapore from a poor country to an extremely rich country in one generation and he did it without any coercion without any force and through his intelligence and policies alone i mm-hmm. highly recommend studying more of him 
this guy was a bona fide genius who converted a small poor country into one of the world's richest and he in one of his interviews he said that the biggest problem facing singapore today is the fact that their population is declining and they are becoming an older and older people so earlier he says that singaporeans were poor and when you are poor you have a poor man's work ethic but today singaporeans have grown up with things to protect them from the sun air conditioners to cool their air and the people of today are softer they don't work as hard and he says that if the people of today were transferred back 70 years ago singapore would still probably be a poor country because the people would not work as hard they would not be as smart with money and singapore would not be great if the people of today continue to exist or continue how they are existing in the sense that the grandfathers of the people of today worked harder than their fathers the fathers have worked worked harder than the children and the children today are going to work harder than the grandchildren and every single year the effort that a citizen puts in is declining and that's kind of one thing which is going to prove to be the fall of singapore or significantly slow down its growth rate the second thing is that the women there are more and more educated and i'm not saying this is a bad thing of course but in lky's view he says that in any civilization which educates its women you end up at a situation where the women keep marrying later and later and now they are becoming an aging and old population because the average singaporean person has one kid in the sense the average couple has 1.05 kids and the replacement rate is 2.2 or 2.1 yeah the replacement rate is for every couple you should make at least 2.1 children to replace yourselves and these guys are making 1.05 now what does that mean it means that every generation the population of singapore is reducing by a factor of 2 and that may not sound so big but if you do the math if you take a million and you divide it by 2 it will not take so many divisions for it to become a hundred or a very very small number and that is kind of what singapore's issue is right now that people are not having as many children and they are being forced to bring in immigrants to make up for the shortfall in their population mm okay and you're saying one of the reasons like there's different reasons but one of the reasons is because women are getting very educated and they're pushing back the marriage that's one of the reasons yeah now that's one of the reasons of course education reduces birth rate overall right because when people are poor they have lots of kids but mm-hmm. let's take someone like you and me arman how old are you 31 how many kids do you have zero why long story but but i i do want kids but i want to get myself a little bit more established before i do okay let's say that you get married how many kids would you have my goal is 3 to 4 i see how many kids would your grandfather have around like 7 to 10 why so i did read uh, i mean this is um 
theory, but one of the reasons I read was uh, a lot of people in the villages would get more kids due to in the future having more labor uh, help within like their farms and the agricultural land. I don't know how accurate that is, but it was a theory that I read. That is definitely a factor. In fact, I've heard that from my own older people from my village. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. But what I'm what I'm getting at is that when people like us, right, when we think of kids, we think, okay, this is going to be a lot of responsibility. I'm going to have to clothe this thing. I'm going to have to send it to school and look after it. And maybe I can do it for two kids, three kids. I can't mm-hmm. do it for 14 kids, 20 kids. I can't do it while still having any time for me. But Correct. back then, people did not think this way. Now, if you tell a woman, I want 14 kids, she's going to run as far and as fast as she can. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that you should be speaking about. Like, um, I mean, I don't know your relationship status or anything like that. But whenever you're in the dating pool, there's a few things that you need to speak about, like to sort of weed someone out. Because you could have a lot of things in connection with someone like you find them physically attractive uh, they have the personality type that you're looking for but then there could be like these little black swans that come out of nowhere where that person may not be looking for kids and if you are it's like boom that could be a deal breaker another one that people don't talk about enough is location like where do you want to settle down where everything could be right but if she says well my biggest dream is to one day move to europe and you're like what the hell? Like, I, I want to settle down in, let's say, Texas or California. That could be another deal breaker. So these are actually questions to ask nowadays. But back to what you were initially saying uh, with the grandpa and the grandma situation. Those weren't really questions that you were asking. It, it was like more like simple. Like you get married, you have kids, boom, done. But nowadays there's like these more options. And more options isn't always a good thing because now it can either lead to more clarity or more confusion. Yeah, now see, this is a debatable topic, right? Because a lot of people would disagree with the fact that having kids is the most important purpose of life. So it's a bit of a debate. My own opinion is that having kids is the most important thing you can do in your entire life because that this is what nature has created you to do. And everything else, all the money, all your health even, is designed to support that. So to to not have kids is like having a great car. Let's say you're really rich, you saved all this money, you ha- you're in the best of health. It's like having a great car, but then taking it nowhere. Mm-hmm. This is not what cars are meant for. So I did, I did see you write a tweet about that recently. Was that... Uh... Was that one of the tweets that sparked any debate or was it like pretty clear consensus? Oh, so you're talking about the tweet where I said that it's better to have, it's better to be a beggar and have 20 children than it is to be a billionaire and have zero. Is that mm-hmm. the one you're yes, talking yep, about? Yes, yep, yep. That was the tweet. Can you give me your thoughts on it first? Because that tweet was very polarizing. Some people agree with it. Some people complete, completely disagree. I personally think it's 100% true, but I would like to hear your thoughts. Well, my thoughts is I believe having kids is very important. Uh, That's my personal philosophy. I I believe that it's not just a matter of like, just do it because nature 
forced you to. Like that's what nature is programmed towards. I also believe that it's a personal satisfaction thing where you're a father or a mother and you're passing your knowledge down to the next generation so that next generation can remix that knowledge and bring it, just keep the lineage going. Um, in terms of the beggar being more uh, like successful than the billionaire, I see the like the like the play on words, the poeticness of it. I don't know if I, I, I got to think this one through more. I, I don't really have an opinion on it. But to answer your general question, I do think it's important to have kids. I I think that uh, I I avoid I thought I avoided most of the controversial part of it, in the sense that is it better to be a beggar and have twenty kids, or to have, be a middle class person and have ten? Now that is something that that's a trick question, but I don't know the right answer. Because but, here's the here's here's the thing, because um, when I hear that. I believe you got to really set yourself up correctly rather than just be broke and have kids because that doesn't require skill. Like there's a lot of people here that are like, um, they just get drunk one day, they have a kid and then like the parents split up and now you're bringing in this kid in a very hectic atmosphere. So if you're like a beggar and you're having kids, like, are you really being responsible in terms of nature? Yes. But just in the human side of it, like, are you being responsible bringing in a kid into such a chaotic space because having a kid bro it's pretty easy um and i'm i'm like excluding the people that have like um egg and reproductive issues i'm talking about like you know the general stuff so it's like i believe it's more responsible to bring in a good environment first and then you build kids on top of that rather than just being like a beggar and like busting a nut I agree with you there, but if you were given an option, or if I was given an option, that I could be a sterile billionaire, or I could be a beggar and you know be guaranteed to have twenty children, I would choose the beggar. Interesting. Okay. Um, do you want to explain it a little bit more? Because the only purpose that nature has given us is to breed. And by having zero kids, you fail. Mm. Of course, there are people who will disagree with this. And there, there's no, what do you say? There's no consensus here, right? This is just my way of thinking, you could say. But I think that if you apply it on a macro scale, if everybody had zero kids, then your civilization dies out. If everybody has 20 kids, then your civilization is growing and it's not dying out. And maybe nature kills 15 of your 20 kids, who knows? Mm -hmm. But your genes are always surviving and growing in number. And I think that has worked for people for the past 15, 20,000 years and will continue to work for people as long as humanity exists. On the other hand, having zero kids or having really, really few kids, like in the case of Singapore, has not worked for any country ever over the long scheme of things. Any country where the population goes to zero goes extinct by definition of extinction. Mm, interesting. 
see, these are one of those topics that are like, I'm sure when you initially posted the tweet, you're just thinking like, it's going to be pretty one-sided, but you said it ended up being somewhat polarizing. Um, yeah, you're, I, I, I thought it would be one-sided. I was not intending to be controversial. And to avoid controversy, I specifically said zero instead of, say, some debatable number. I, even 20 and 1, some, it, it can be debatable. Like, you have passed on your genes if you had one kid. But yeah. zero is... Nah. The, the concept holds true. Like, well, the concept that you're trying to drive at is it's better to have kids and be broke rather than be rich and have no kids. And you're trying to say it's nature is gearing us towards that, right? Did I summarize that correctly? Yes. Now, the reason that, you know, you probably didn't know that that was a polarizing thing. Neither did I, by the way, where have you ever heard of this gentleman named Ted Turner? He's a singer. No, he was an entrepreneur. Like you could argue that he was the most famous entrepreneur in the 90s. And he, long story short, he became this media mogul. He ended up getting a bunch of different media empires underneath his control. And he became a billionaire. In the beginning portion of his career, he was super conservative. Later on, he married this one woman named Jane Fonda. And his views started to transition more into the liberal side of things. Well, I was one time reading his autobiography and I saw his transition. And at the end, you know what he believes is the number one crisis that's going on right now? I do not. Threats of overpopulation. So he was like ending his book, like trying to make his readers like sign this virtual pledge that's saying, I will have one kid or two kids max, no more than that. And apparently for the later part of his career, Harsh, he spent a lot of like mental bandwidth, finances, trying to solve the overpopulation issue. So it's kind of unique because he has like the reverse philosophy of the Singapore side of it. I don't believe overpopulation to be a very serious issue. I know people consider it, consider it to be a big issue, especially in India, because we are now the biggest population in the world. We just crossed China. But I do not believe population to be so bad of a thing. Because at the end of the day, if you can support a big population, you should have it. If you can feed them, then what is the problem? And you can make the argument that, you know, there are not enough resources, infrastructure cannot support such a big population. And my answer to that is that the infrastructure and the resources and things of these sorts, these are problems that will be solved eventually because there is enough demand. Now take, for example, a city that has one movie theater and say that the movie theater has a hundred seats and every single day, all the hundred seats of the movie theater are full. But because the city is popular, say the, the population of the city doubles. And now this theater is full, but there are still people in line wanting to buy tickets who can't buy tickets. And now you could say that this is a overpopulation doing its thing. And now these people don't have enough infrastructure for everybody to watch movies. But what is going to happen in the next five years? In the next five years, there's going to be a second movie theater show up in the city. And the infrastructure would come up to meet this demand. So I don't believe that 
a population being high is a problem because of lack of infrastructure. I believe that infrastructure will show up when there is enough demand for it. And we are seeing that happen in India. We are seeing that happen in China and in other countries that have higher populations. I think this overpopulation thing is simply, simply not well thought out in the sense that what are you trying to achieve by depopulating a country and encouraging people to have fewer and fewer children? It makes sense on some level, right? The kids that do exist, they will get better education. They will get more attention from their parents. And they will, in a sense, live in a more richer country on a per capita basis. Mm -hmm. But what these people do not realize is that this is a slippery slope. And it is not very difficult to end up in a situation like Japan where the number of kids per person will keep declining once you convince people that it's bad to have children. Because at the end of the day, most people are not far-sighted. They are selfish. And they are they are very prone to sacrificing something that involves work and pays off at a much later date. And in this case, it doesn't even pay off in their lifetime for something that they get right away. So if you tell people that it's bad to have kids and they should rather spend their money on clothes and you know things like that, you know, on luxury items, and you can live a great life, travel a lot. If, but if you have more kids, you can't do all of these things. You will convince more and more of the people to not have kids. And like I told you, the geometry of this thing does is not is not people don't understand the way geometric things work. For example, if you have a population of a thousand. The next generation would be only 500. The next generation would be 250. The next would be 125. Then it's 60. Then it's 30. Then it's just 15. And that's not a lot of generations. I think in like six, seven, eight generations, it would be down to two digits. And mm -hmm. that is insane, right? Six, seven, eight generations is not that much time. It's maybe 200 years. So, right. This is a slippery slope. I think it makes more sense to let people have children when they want to have children. Stop brainwashing them into not having any kids. And I think, I think that as long as you have enough food to support a population, it's not a big issue. And I don't really believe that the world needs to be depopulated. I think we'll figure out our fuel issues. We will figure out alternative sources of energy when there is enough demand for it. Mm -hmm. And we will solve our problems using technology and other solutions. I think the whole overpopulation thing is zero-sum thinking where people think there are only a limited amount of resources. And the only way to increase your share is to limit the number of divisions you have to make in the pie. I don't think that way. I think that it's better to have more people and to make the pie bigger. Interesting. Th th that is true in many ways where like we always have like these very gloom and doom like viewpoints of the future. We're like, oh man, we're about to run out of food at any moment. They've been saying this since like 2000 or excuse me, like late 1990s. And it's like whenever we're over here, you know, putting ourselves in a corner, we often invent our ways out of it. So I think this is what one of the reasons why there's like this big space race going on as well, because guys like Branson, Musk, Bezos, they're probably looking into the future like, okay, hypothetically, let's entertain this overpopulation idea. 
what's going to happen? Well, like you remember how you said geometrically, like if you stop having kids, how it just like gradually goes down. Now let's flip it. Let's say like hypothetically, let's say overpopulation is a thing and you're just starting to like, you know, really fill up earth and you're over here doing innovation and all of that stuff. It's like, yo, we still need some more real estate. That's why these billionaires are probably like thinking ahead. And it's like, if overpopulation is a big enough issue, we need to become a space faring uh, civilization. So I do agree with your general point where it's like, we often undermine how creative we are, uh, especially like how much issues that technology can really solve and how infrastructures and such evolve to a way where we deal with the gloomy predictions in a very great way. That's what I, one thing I've noticed. What are your thoughts on the fact that they've been saying that coal is going to end in 50 years, but they've been saying this for over 100 years now? Man, one of the things that I am very wary of doing is trying to predict the future. And especially like just hearing the doom and gloom from pessimistic philosophers, they'll really make you jaded towards the future. You can't predict the future, man. A lot of the stuff that we see nowadays in 2000s like we would not have been able to predict it um any 90s babies that are listening to this i'm pretty sure in 2000s like if you went to school in the u.s uh, there was a certain period where like they'd bring a tv into your classroom and you'd watch a, a little documentary of what life would be like in 2020 and they had like these things called like hoverboards flying cars and all of this stuff and it's like we don't necessarily have the flying cars but we have things that you could actually consider magic. Like the fact that me and you are just speaking effortlessly, it's a form of magic. Um, and it's like, you, no one would have been able to just easily predict that. 2000s, like we still have a dial-up internet and such. So it's like, you could do a lot of these negative pr predictions, but my thing is like, that's all it is. It's just a guess. Like you don't know it. You could have a lot of data, but what is data really? It's of what happened in the past. And now you're just trying to use the past to uh, pre uh, predict the future with laser precision. It's it's um something that I'm not sold on yet. So like these coal running out, like uh, like jobs running out, all of that stuff. It's like, it's cool to have these thought experiments, but I'm not sold. I, I got to like see it. And once I see it, I, I believe that's when you could like really be strategic with it. I agree with you there. I think the whole coal running out, all of this is just doomsday nonsense. And they've been saying this for a long time now. And they've been predicting 50, 60 years. And those 50, 60 years are long gone. And coal is still around. So is petrol. And so is petroleum and natural gas. And these things have not run out. And these guys were all wrong. And if these things do start to run out, we will find alternative solutions. Mm. I believe that humans are intelligent and given enough demand solutions will be created however just to play devil's advocate to you since you said that we're doing magic right now i will say that in the past 30 years or so the only technology that has increased in a very disruptive way is communication technology internet we have mobile phones and things of this sort all communication technology has gone up significantly but other technologies have not changed that much. Trains have not become 20, 30, 50 times faster. 
your car doesn't fly which is such a shame because people have been asking for flying cars for the past ever since cars have been around they've been saying at some point we will have flying cars and so mm-hmm. far no progress has been made and overall outside of the realm of communication technology has not improved as much as one would think well that is the lens that i'm taking it from like from communications technology information systems and such what we're doing is borderline magic now that's for bits with atoms i believe a renaissance is coming like if you're looking at what's happening with 3d printers right now if you're looking at um if you're looking at um things within atoms like it's going to begin to change not in the next 2 to 3 years but i think within the next 5 to 10 years and i actually wrote a very uh, detailed newsletter in regards to this i believe things that humans are recurringly whining about is going to be automated in the future do you recall one of our past episodes where you uh, you're like uh, what annoys you armani i asked you first and you said traffic annoys you and then you asked me what annoyed me do you remember my response i'm embarrassed but i do not Oh yeah, I, nothing to be embarrassed about. I just said I hate incompetence, uh, especially like when I'm trying to get food. Fat and... women, that's what you said. <laughs> um, but I, I said like I didn't really like how long I have to like wait to get food and like places like fast food restaurants and such. And you know, I was watching back the episode and I'm like, man, I'm kind of like whining about this. That's when I thought, <laughs> and that's when I thought, I'm like, wait a minute, why the hell are humans over here flipping patties for? What the hell are they putting in fries into hot oil and feeling the splattering hot oil on their skin? Of course I'd be annoyed too. Why the hell aren't computers and uh, machines doing this? In the future, I see there being like fast food restaurants that are fully automated where you go in, there's a kiosk, you can order from the kiosk. Once you place the order, uh, the machines get activated and then you get your food through a chute. at max you need one to two people on staff to deal with any hardware slash customer support issues and other than that people could actually log in to fast food restaurants with the genio server to see if the robots are working correctly and if it's not uh, you could log in remotely and do your issue there very similar to if you have a computer issue someone from IT from like i don't know like india or like overseas can log in and fix it So here I am like whining about this and I'm like I'm not the only one whining about this either. There's plenty of people that are like look, I want my fast food to be fast. And it's like when you keep spotting these reoccurring issues that people are whining about, these are automation opportunities. Another example is that do you know what a residential home is? a house where you stay in but are not allowed to do commercial activities yeah yeah it's more like uh, like where the nuclear family stays right like uh, let's say a wife and a husband they have two kids they they're going to move into a residential home mm-hmm. Now, imagine once the kids move out right um every tuesdays and thursdays uh they have to take out the garbage can from their garage and put it in the front so the garbage truck can pick it up now if you're roughly around 55 to 75 years old that range and your kids aren't at home this is something that 
people within that range find very annoying. Like they hate taking the garbage out, right? Because like guys like me and you, we could do it easily. But if you're like, let's say 55 years old, like you have to drag it. It's very annoying depending where you're living. It may be a cold area. So you got to put a jacket on. Bottom line, it's annoying. My question is, why the hell isn't this being automated? Imagine putting a chip on a uh, a garbage can. You're setting it up with the um, with the trash uh, the the what do you call that, Harsh? Like the trash uh, car thing. Oh, the garbage vehicle. Garbage vehicle. You, you set it up, and whenever it's Tuesdays and Thursdays, you um, you set up the chip in a way where like there's a project infrared sensor that just rolls the garbage can outside and no human intervention is needed. So another situation where there's reoccurring whining occurring and then boom, you have another automation opportunity. So I think most of these future uh, technical issues are going to be communication technology that's resolving these issues. And this is a situation where communication technologies is directly impacting the atoms. So I believe if you want to make a change and you really want to see magic in action, understand information technology and information systems. I agree with you there where I think that more and more technology will solve basic human problems. But I think you have only half of the equation there. And I will tell you what I mean by it. If you take why we have all of the technologies we have in the first place, you will go back to the beginning of the industrial age, right? When we started using machines. But the question is, why is it that we only started using machines so recently in our history, maybe 250 years, as opposed to say a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago or 3000 years ago, where we still had large prospering civilizations in China, in India, in Egypt, in Rome and other places, we had intelligent people who could create armies, have logistics, have these big battles, who could do sieges, who could make dams, who could make aqueducts, who could make tall buildings. Why did we not have our industrial revolution back then? And the answer to that is that we had slavery. And today, for example, my geezer heats up my water. But do you think that back then people did not have hot water? They had hot water, but instead of using a geezer, they just used a slave, where the slave would wake up early, heat the water up for you. Mm -hmm. Do you get me? Yeah. And back when England was terrorizing the entire world, the terrorists in England, they had to make all these clothes and they wanted to sell this to the countries that they were terrorizing. And to do that in bulk, it was not possible to do it given their small population and given the fact that their country did not officially have slaves. And so because they had to fulfill a lot of demand in a limited number of people, that is where the invention of machines started to happen. That is where you got the, the loom, which would loom, say, seven times faster or you could spin seven yarns with one worker as opposed to spinning only one yarn with one worker. And all of that was happening because of the fact that they did not have slaves. So historically, we have 
always had slavery in every country of the world and that is what prevented industrialization from happening for millennia it was only now when slavery was not a thing in england and they had to fulfill a lot of manufacturing demand that's the industrial age took hold that's the reason why we have almost all the technology we have today it started over there now if you take the guy who is making mcdonalds right he's burning his hands on oil mm-hmm. you know getting annoyed by this work if you want this to go away you would have to make him unviable in the sense that either you need to pass a law that says people are not allowed to work at mcdonalds and if that happens mcdonalds will have to figure out a way to make things work without humans or wages yes. will have to rise more more than what mcdonalds could charge so having a human worker would need to become unprofitable for this automation to take place because why would you spend your time and energy and resources making something automatic when you could just hire people really really cheap and thus make more profits cuz humans whine machines don't yeah but who cares about them whining right you're not dealing with them you're well, just hurts. hiring a manager to if i'm a, if i'm yeah but if i'm a manager dude see if you worked in fast food this is where like the fast food experience comes in your productivity plummets if you even have one human whining in the supply chain so it's one of those things dude like i'm telling you like 15 years from now the idea of like humans working in fast food is actually going to be like future they're going to be like humans really did that that's inhumane because um it's not what i'm saying by the way is not that far from reality there actually was a mcdonald's recently fully automated you order online you come you scan boom it's made uh like for you so it's like i get your point you're saying like why invest in the machines if uh like a human can do it cheaper no that's you not think- what i'm saying mm-hmm. that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that you get far more automation happen far faster when humans are not viable it's not economically feasible to have paid people do it for example in places in your country where the minimum wage rose to 15 dollars per hour a lot of mcdonalds have introduced kiosks where you can order on a screen instead of having to talk to a waiter right i've been seeing that recently yep and they didn't happen because the technology became available suddenly the technology for doing that has been around for a while the reason it was implemented was because it became too expensive to have waiters being paid 15 bucks an hour yeah i see your point with the 15 dollars an hour like i do but what i'm trying to say is that we don't need humans in fast food restaurants at all like the like someone will be like well what about the love of cooking i guarantee you most of those people don't love uh, their cooking at all like it's very machine like work um you can have um you can still have humans there but I really do think in the future it's going to just be for customer support and hardware related issues. The main point I'm trying to make though um is that anything that humans reoccurringly whine about because whenever we're thinking whining us as like self-improvement guys we're like hey don't whine that's a bad thing to do. 
for the most part, yes, whining is a bad thing to do. Uh, whining minus solutions equals whining, but whining plus solutions equals potential like business opportunities. So that's just one thing that I noticed. Like sometimes like, you know, complaining and stuff, like it sheds insight into stuff that should be automated. I agree with you there. I do think that a lot of automation will come from new players in the market as opposed to the existing players. Because the existing players are kind of asleep, right? For example, mm -hmm. when you are buying a house, how does that work? You call up a realtor, the realtor will get the key to the house, then you go meet the realtor, he takes you to the house, then you see the house and then you come out and the realtor goes his way with the key. Now, would it not be much simpler if there was some online system where instead of having a realtor, you could chat on some a potential buyer on an app and with your phone, you could just unlock your house for say 30 minutes. The buyer can check out the house and the moment he leaves, the door locks by itself. Mm -hmm. That would be a simple thing to do and people are doing it to cut out realtors. But what I'm saying is that it's not the realtors that are coming up with these innovations because they don't need to. Right. It's the you're right it's the outsiders where i'm like um consumer of the fast food restaurant and i have like just some like you know technical background as well so i believe like that's something that i could propose and someone who let's say is in the mcdonald's battlefield like they may understand like certain things need to be automated but they don't even have the language to articulate it because that's not a reality for them for the general public when they think machines like they literally think like like Wally the robot from like the movie, but they don't see machines as like just processes uh, and scripts. Bro, like there was this one job that I had where we had to install zebra printers and zebra printers basically means like barcodes because a barcode looks sort of like a zebra. Mm -hmm. And the team that we would work with, I believe it was this team in Australia and Australians have this very sarcastic sense of humor where you don't know if they're, trying to tell you a joke or if they're flat out being rude. And the thing was, um, like my team had to like submit a ticket for them to install the printer and you had to like pray that they got back to you. Right. And if they got back to you, they're like over here, you know, being arrogant, rude. They're making you read all these documents to see if you could install it yourself. A big pain in the ass. One day my manager is over here, like screaming, uh, like at this uh, team. And right after he's done screaming, uh, he pings me to go to his office. I was like, oh, shit, is he going to yell at me now, too? <laughs> and so I, I go to his office and he's like, hey, can you automate this thing? And I was like, I don't know what the hell that means. So I shook my head and he's like, figure it out. So for the next couple of weeks, dude, I was over here learning what these Zebra guys did. And eventually we were I was able to create a PowerShell script that could literally install the zebra printer in three seconds. So this team suddenly just became like useless. And it's like, it's like, this is something that we don't need humans for, like installing a printer, like you literally could just run a script, but like, unless you understand how automation things work at all, like you're, when people think automation, they actually think like robots, like or physical robots, not like, processes i a hundred percent agree with you there in fact for a while i had a business not exactly a business but i would assist some of my uh, clients mm -hmm. for a fee 
and I would automate their processes for them. Uh, and of course, unlike in your case, we, it did not lead to job losses. But what it did lead to was the fact that these clients could now scale to say 20, 30, 50 times their current size without having to hire additional employees. Mm, interesting. I'll give you an example. So for example, back when I was a tax consultant, right? Automation, people think automation would mean something like having a robot file your taxes for you. But really automation means it, 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 it's as simple as say, picking up your name and all of your personal details from your last year's tax form. So instead of filling your name, address and your you know, tax numbers every year, this software could just pick it up from the previous year's form and automatically fill it. And you just need to put input your salary, whatever, whatever, and it would calculate it and it would automatically file it. And earlier, say with the previous system where all of this would be filled by hand, you could have one person filing, say, four or three or four tax forms per hour. And -hmm. with the new system, they could file 20, 30 tax forms per hour. So now you can scale your companies five, six times as much, having the same number of employees. And that means that as this company scales, new jobs are not created. And that's where a lot of the automation-related job losses happen. You know, it's invisible. It's the fact that jobs are not growing a lot because you don't need more people to scale. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies are becoming smaller now. Definitely. And I think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think it forces people to improve their skills if they want to be in the market, right? Back in the day, right, back in 2012, you could be an idiot working in finance, filling up some sort of Excel sheet and make a decent amount of money. And nowadays, a lot of that stuff is being automated. So you, it's it's much harder to get paid $150,000 for making an Excel sheet. Mm-hmm. So this is forcing people to actually add value to the business to be in the business itself. You can't just be providing some minimal service that some machine can do and expect a good wage. Right. But I am not fully convinced that everybody can add some value to the business, to any business. I I do believe that there is a segment of the population could be as high as 20% of people who are simply so dumb that if they were not given free food, they're going to starve to death at some point. Mm-hmm. For them, man, uh, see, what, you know, um, in terms of automation, what was the first thing we automated? Like, the lower level jobs, yeah. It was lower level jobs, but what we really tried to automate first was customer support. You ever had that moment where like, you really needed to speak to a human and they're like, oh, please click one if you want it to be in English. Please click two oh, if you want to. I'm like, bro, this is so <laughs> fucking annoying. Like, I don't want this to be automated. Especially when I ran like my Amazon business a couple of years back. It's like you were kept, like they automated so much of it that it would literally take you like 45 minutes to reach the right team. And you're For just Amazon. Here, That's yeah. interesting. So you're just over here like smashing uh the zeros right and you're just like just give me a human so human beings like 
that's one thing that they don't like to be automated, the customer support. There are certain things that you can automate in regards to it, but when the crisis is high enough, a human wants to speak to a human. So when you're talking about like a lot of these morons that can't even like tie their own shoelaces, I really believe like if you have the right attitude in the future and you could train yourself for customer support, I see customer support jobs becoming more dominant in the future. And that's something that like you can automate, but like when the crisis is high enough, humans want to speak to humans. Yeah, but that's like a lower quality of life, isn't it? To work customer support. Yeah, but it depends on like the demand. Like in certain parts of Virginia, for example, I didn't know, but like it's pretty like hood. Like one of the like the most dangerous gangs live in um, uh, Virginia. So cops over there make a lot, like over 150K, right? But here in Florida, I mean, they don't make that much. So it's like if the demand is high, like let's say in 25 years, there's a huge demand for production support and customer support. Customer support is no longer seen as a low tier job. You could probably make six figures being a good customer support agent. I don't know about that. You know, maybe if the inflation is very high, then yes. But I, I think we might be adding up the numbers too much. I can see that a lot of the customer support people being from third world countries like India more. And uh, I, I, I will, I, I will say that. At least in the case of Amazon, I think that compared to all the other companies I've dealt with, they have incredibly good customer support. So in India, as, they have as, as a customer, but if you're a seller, it's really annoying. Ah, I see. I see. If you're a customer, dude, you're you'll get your package resent your money back in like one minute. But if you're a seller, they don't respect sellers like that, or at least they didn't back in the days where you're just jumping through all these hoops. They'll randomly take down your listing. They'll randomly take off 50 reviews from your listing. And it's like, what gives? You know, so that's where Amazon received a, a lot of its criticism. Because you can argue that Amazon became like what it became due to a lot of the third-party sellers because they fed the flywheel. They gave uh, like more, um, more products, which allowed Amazon to lower their price which allowed more customers to come in, which attracted more third-party sellers. But once the third-party sellers started to sell successful products, a lot of Amazon would like just copy that product and market it under Amazon's brand. So I do yeah. agree with you there. Uh, like the in terms of customer support, they're great. In terms of seller respect, they're not always great unless you're selling books. I can see that to be true. I've heard that from my friends who actually sell stuff on Amazon. Mm -hmm. and it's it's really bad for example i have a guy i have a friend who sells supplements on amazon and apparently it's you can get banned from amazon if people leave you negative reviews for supplements so what competitors will sometimes do is that they will buy a bunch of your supplements from different locations and then leave reviews like you know taking this made me vomit blood or i'm coughing blood and if you like leave six, seven, like, you know, reviews saying that people, like, you know, you're coughing blood after taking the supplement, your uh, product will be removed and you will be banned. And the appeal process can take months and months and months. Mm -hmm. And by then, you know, the other people, they've kind of conquered the market, you could say. And when, even when you come back, it takes a while to get back in the same momentum of sales. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
it's a big issue on Amazon for the sellers because Amazon is such a huge company that they they take action first and then they try to figure out what is it was it the right action or not. And it's not very difficult to get any product bombarded with negative reviews. In fact, you could even get it done for as cheap as 50, 60 bucks on Fiverr and get any product you want, like a whole bunch of one-star reviews and saying things like, you know, this product made gave my, gave my skin a rash. You know, so this watch is giving me rashes or anything. Take any product and I can come up with some something to like malign it with. You know, this mm-hmm. weighing scale gave me an electric shock. And you have five people claiming they got an electric shock and this product is going to be delisted for a while. Yeah. And when you're trying to see like, well, what do I do about this? Like, is this a potential fake review or what? To chase them down, it's it's so difficult. Like you're basically over here explaining your issue to the first human that they connect you with. And after you explain it in detail, they'll be like, oh, I'm the wrong team for that. Let me transfer you to the right team. So they transfer you to a brand new team. You're basically explaining your issue again in detail. And they'll be like, oh, uh, that's the wrong team. Uh, or I'm the wrong team. Uh, let me transfer you to the right team. And you're just over here explaining it over and over. <laughs> and as you're explaining it, dude, as you're waiting to be like transferred, they have this like theme music. I... Yeah, this background music. <laughs> to this day, it haunts me. To this day, like I get PTSD from it. I'm like, oh, no, not this song. <laughs> and I'll just hang up. <laughs> Man, you should use email for this type of stuff. Yeah, the thing with Amazon, I I learned from my years selling there, is that you definitely do not just want to rely on Amazon. Like, you should have, like, a website, uh, email list, a blog, a YouTube channel, something, where if you're one of those guys that's like, oh, I'm uh, I'm ranked number one for my specific keyword for now. Like, the tactics that you just mentioned uh, of buying fake reviews and then obliterating someone else's listing that's not that uncommon that happens a lot so to make first page listing it requires a lot of work but it's very easy to be taken down as well definitely in fact i had a friend of mine who makes like five six grand from amazon a month from kdp he got his amazon seller account deleted and over the dumbest reason he was using a different pseudonym earlier and he changed his pseudonym. And apparently on Amazon, once you publish a book, you can't change the author's name. Correct. So he deleted one of his books and then republished the same book under his new pseudonym. And instantly his account was deleted for the reason that he violated the policy where you can't publish the same book for using the name of a different author now. And his account is just poof because Gone. apparently there is something called uh, some some kind of content which you can purchase and turn into books it's called licensed content or something it's some some type of content i'm not really sure mm-hmm. and amazon wants to prevent people from buying this content and then having a bunch of people publish it in their books so mm. people they they want to avoid people from mass publishing books on kdp using you know third-party content they just purchase from somebody else, from a ghostwriter. Because right. a ghostwriter will sell the same content to like 50 people. So this guy got his, you know, Amazon account that was making six, seven grand a month removed over something so stupid 
and they're not getting his account back then the appeal did not work so now he's you know he now he has to build it up again from scratch oh see that's something i haven't heard because from thus far from selling different products on amazon the one thing that i haven't had a problem with at all is like with books so that's um very unique that you brought it up with kdp and for those of you who don't know what kdp means it means kindle direct publishing which allows you to publish your own books uh kindle uh and paperback on amazon yeah apparently you can make a fuck ton of money with kdp not not a fuck ton but if you live in a third world country it's going to be a fuck ton 67k is a lot of money in india right mm-hmm. but it's passive like according to my friend this is not something he has to constantly work on for example if you take twitter right i'm tweeting 3 4 times a day in other words i'm doing something i'm creating content but with amazon it's like once you make a book if your book is selling all you have to do is nothing the book will keep selling and this is like getting passive money every month forever without you having to market it well and i'll take it even one level further so i don't know if you could see it like the blue book right here that i'm pointing to speak easy uh how to be more articulate assertive and audacious around people so this book is like selling pretty well for like this niche within communication skills and leadership and when your book is selling harsh different creators from uh that particular niche is going to re- uh, reach out to you and be like hey uh, can i interview you or hey uh can i um include your book on my top 5 list of such and such communications books so if you get the right book um and it's organically selling very well you're you'll organically create a lot of other sub opportunities as well where with a tweet like you write a tweet and it disappears in a day where with a book like uh within like a span of let's say 2 to 3 years it can keep compounding and grow in power man nowadays tweeting is it's it's not what it used to be right especially nowadays where if you tweet a tweet out it might just be seen by like 10 to 15000 people in the case of my account which is like 3% of my audience and this is across the board most people are having their tweets reach out to 5 10% of their audience and it's only rare that a tweet of mine will say hit 60000 people even though i have 350000 followers so tweeting isn't as what do you say what's the word for it what it used to be Yeah, it's not what it used to be. Of course, for some interesting reasons, my sales still increase year on year. So, despite Twitter throttling everybody, things are going well. But it makes total sense to diversify your income sources because you never know what happens. Your Amazon might get nuked. Twitter might only show you to two percent of your population of your following. Your YouTube account might get banned. Facebook is for retards, and you know instagram might stop growing whatever so it makes sense to have every platform mhm you got to build a universe man i mean what pokemon did like they laid out the blueprint and like only a few people are capable of seeing that but you really want to build a universe where uh, some people like some people watch this podcast right uh, but some people like they listen to it in the car ride but simply us having two vehicles automatically allows for more options for the consumer. So when you have a huge universe, like you never know who your 1000 true fans are. But if you're just a guy that's like tweeting and then sending your traffic to 
a, a listing page. Like that's not a business. That's too simple. Like the internet eventually rewards complexity that's born from simplicity. So you want to get something up and running and then you want to keep adding more layers on top of that. I agree. I think it makes sense to start from one platform, but don't stay on just one platform. You want to grow different platforms. Mm -hmm. And one thing I will say is that get your SEO right. SEO is the most passive form of getting an audience and it's at least likely to get censored. Just people coming from search engines. Mm -hmm. So getting your SEO correct is really, really important. You still do an SEO? For life I haven't money? had the time to publish much on Life Math Money. I've just been really, really busy on other business opportunities. And I've kind of not had as much time for LMM except for creating content on this podcast. But I do intend on getting back to it next year in 2024. So I was a little surprised by that, like in a good kind of surprise, because when you didn't blog as much or post YouTube videos as much, I was like, uh oh, I'm getting, I'm getting like the signs. Like eventually it's going to be like, okay, well, let's, um, let's cut back on unapologetic truths, which we're both busy guys. Like I, I could see a case for that, but I'm surprised like that hasn't been something that you've mentioned yet. No, I like doing this podcast. It's easy to do. There's no planning involved. People don't appreciate how much time it takes to write an article. For me mm -hmm. to write an article, it takes two days. A full eight-hour day to write the article and maybe a couple of hours to edit it, publish it, get the design, the image, and everything else ready to narrate it, etc. And that's not simply viable for me this year. I have a lot of things going on right now, and I'm running an entire startup. Uh, it's just impossible for me to spend, you know, eight days of the month publishing four articles a week. So this year I've decided to just get a lot of things done for me, finish that computer science thing I have going on. And then from next year, I'm going to get back to writing more articles. But for now, I just want to get a bunch of things done forever. And with your Life Math Money Twitter account, are, are you still like posting consistently or how's that like? Oh yeah, that I've been posting on consistently. That's the easiest you know, work you could do, quote unquote work, mm -hmm. which is like posting a tweet, which is mostly just a thought or some lessons I learned from my life. And I'm another, sharing it with people. Yeah. yeah. Another good thing that people don't utilize enough is like, back to the KDP example, like let's say you write one book. You don't just have one book. For those of you who aren't aware, you can have tons of streams that are coming in. So from one book, Harsh, you could then send it to a thing called Draft to Digital, right and then you're over here getting your books sent to like apple books barnes and nobles hoopla and much more it's very similar to like you know when we record these podcasts we don't manually just keep going to like spotify apple such right we get an mm -hmm. rss feed and it just uh, blows it up to all the other platforms that's what drafted digital is so boom you just have another stream of income then you could post it on gumroad then in the future, you could make it into an audiobook. If you have a book that's selling pretty well, turn it into Spanish, turn it into French, and then repeat the process again. So not only that, you within a book, what is a book really? It's a collection of ideas. And what is a tweet exactly? It's an idea. 
So within a book, you have plenty of tweets that are just in there as well. So if you can think like that, that's like a book, uh, I could see it. Um, if you have the right intentions in creating a book, I, I could see it being uh, a very versatile way to build wealth. I definitely agree. And I think in your case, what you're doing is pretty smart, where you are also producing courses for sites like Skillshare and other places. Mm-hmm. And I can see that targeting a completely different audience as well. I think the book is more of a, a low price product that can make you some money. But courses tend to make you more money and tend to be more in depth. Yeah, it's like this is what I mean with the universe. Like the one time I had this uh, girl DM me and she's like, Hey, I saw your Twitter class on Skillshare. I just want to let you know that I bought um, your uh, like wordplay book. So she discovered me on Skillshare and ended up in Amazon. So it's like the more it's like, I, I know you would understand the phrase it's called decision tree. The more options mm-hmm. that you have, the more that uh, like a person can like go around those options. So when you zoom out, it just looks like a big brain, right? Like the, the Armani Talks brand looks like a big brain. Each so of the content world, pieces yeah. and human beings are nodes. And when they connect, they, they create little synapses, aka a transaction. Anyone that's really curious about this, like there's a guy named Kevin Kelly. He wrote this fascinating book that talked about how technological systems, as they evolve, uh, mimic biological systems. And it's like if you get a lot of the analogies from biology, you could make staggering predictions with technology. It's a. Let me see if I can find the name of the book. Some Kindle harsh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called Out of Control. For anyone that wants to check it out, by Kevin Kelly. Out of Control by Kevin Kelly. Mm-hmm. I shall have a look. So, bro, I was going through your Twitter recently, and I saw something that I didn't know about you. So at age 18, you got like a mystery skin disease? Yeah. So I had a day where I ha- I noticed I had some red marks on my arm, on my left arm. And I just didn't notice that. I just, okay, so random red mark, who gives a shit, right? Then the next day I had another red mark on my right arm. And these red marks kind of kept increasing and showing up on random places on my body. So I go to the doctor and the doctor says, this is a a fungal infection. Here's a fungal pill, antifungal pill. Take this, use this powder, use this cream, and you will be fine. But those pills, those powders, none of them, they did did nothing to me. And these dots, these, these red rashes, they kept increasing and in a week or so, they started spreading. So you would have a rash and that would be like the size of a coin. And in say the next day, it would be like two coins, three coins. And it would essentially just keep spreading. And the thing spread almost all over my arms and it started showing up on my chest. So I go to the doctor again. I'm like, dude, this is not working. I'm taking your pills. I've been using your powder and the cream and it's not working. And the doctors had, like, he had no idea what was up. And I went to a bunch of doctors. They, they, they were not sure what was happening. They thought this was some psoriasis or something. And uh, it was spreading really fast. So every day I would wake up and I would find that this thing has progressed an inch, two inches down. And uh, 
it was extremely painful. I think I shared a picture. Can you share your screen? Let's show people the picture. It's not the picture of me. I found a reference picture on Google. Mm-hmm. But what I had looked a lot like that. And it was increasing every single day, like by two inches, three inches. And I was really worried. So were my parents. And there was just no nothing. Nothing had changed. I'm sharing it. Okay, so this is a reference pic I found on Google. I had something that was almost exactly like this. Damn. It started from my arms and it kind of went up to my neck all the way down to my ankles. And were you was your skin flaking like this? Yeah, so that was the worst part, right? So after it spread, so firstly it kept spreading, but it didn't flake as much. It was just red. You can keep sharing it if you like. Uh, trust me, I don't want to. I don't want to see that. <laughs> no, people might skip to this part of the podcast and okay, okay. be relevant. Gotcha, gotcha. So this thing kept spreading, and doctors did not know what was up. And I'm then, sure. you know, because it was spreading so fast, the doctors they decided that it was extremely necessary for me to get some very aggressive treatment. So I was given. Creams which were essentially estrogen and corticosteroids, and I was given broad-spectrum antibiotics, antihistamines. I was given pills and medicines for everything. You know, the broad-spectrum antibiotic in case this is a bacterial thing, mm-hmm. a antihistamine in case it's an allergy. You know, the estrogen and corticosteroid creams. You know, the steroid creams to, if this is something that can be controlled by this, this will. Reduce inflammation, prevent it from spreading, reduce the itchiness. These things are really, really itchy. And none of those things worked except the estrogen cream. They would kill the itching. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you one thing. I, I did something really dumb. I figured that this was going to go away. So I kept training. I, I kept lifting weights. And I only stopped lifting weights when my trainer asked me not to come. Yeah, and he's like, wait a minute, like people are gonna start objecting to this stuff now. It looks like it might be communicable <laughs> and you're sweating on the equipment. And he could see all this, uh, yeah, like he, the red stuff. Could, I would wear full sleeve so he couldn't see, but he could see it on my neck. And, oh, okay. you know, he could tell, right? You know, when I would sweat, it would sting so much that I would shake a little bit. And the guy could tell I had this all over my hands and back because I was itching my hands. And he, he said this in a very polite way that people might start objecting to it. In other words, he's like, okay, you should take some time off, fix the stuff, then mm-hmm. come back to the gym. You right. should give it to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's when I stopped going to the gym. I think it, I was about two and a half, three months in. I already had this all the way till my waist back then. And then I went to a legit and experienced dermatologist. And that's when he diagnosed me with something called pityriasis rosea. And apparently pityriasis rosea is a skin disease which comes and goes in six months. There mm-hmm. is no known cause and there are no known cures. So this is something that comes. It wrecks havoc on your skin. It breaks it up into hives and all the skin peels off from your body. The new skin shows up there. And then it just goes away. But there is nothing you can do. There's nothing you can take that fixes it. But he still gave me estrogen creams because I don't really know why. And I I wasn't questioning anything back then. I thought, okay, this is like, this is spreading so fast that I might actually like be in some really, really serious trouble. 
So I took everything he gave me. And this guy did the same thing. He gave me everything. He gave me antihistamines. He gave me a whole bunch of estrogen creams and corticosteroids and broad spectrum antibiotics. And I just took them all. I, did, I didn't question anything. I'm, I'm like, okay, wait, this guy, has, uh, he actually has a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Let's go with what he's saying. And yeah, it took six months. And just like this chick in the picture whose skin is flaking off, almost my entire skin flaked off like that. And it was extremely itchy and it would burn every single minute of your life. So some days I couldn't sleep because it would, it's fine when it's burning your stomach, but when it's burning, say the back of your knees, you know, the the soft portion behind your knees, that really, really hurts it. Your elbows, you know, the, the soft parts of your elbows, all of those parts when they're burning from sweat, mm-hmm. your underarms, that stuff is really, it makes it hard to get any sleep. So you're not recovering as much. It was a really, really shit time in my life. But yeah, in six, seven months, it started to recede. The one thing I found that really helped, you know, kickstart the healing process, I like to think, is bathing with head and shoulders shampoo. So you see all this flaky shit, right? I figured, okay, so this is what, this is like dandruff, right? Yeah. So maybe I should bathe in an anti-dandruff shampoo and that would fix it. So that's what I did. And that really, really worked. Well, you so put the, on your body too, or just your hair? Yeah, I put it up all over my body. It burned like, a, it burned a lot. But at that point, I was willing to try anything. I, I was just so done with having my entire body you know, break out like this and not being able to sleep. And it was already hurting enough that having some extra pain would make no difference. So I took a shower with head and shoulders shampoo and it worked miraculously. So the immediately the next day, all the flaking was gone and most of the red stuff had become brown. So it was mm-hmm. no longer as inflamed and it started healing. And over the next few months, you know, the, the flakiness would go away. My regular skin would return and all of these cars and, you know, the, the redness, it would just recede. It would become smaller every day. And for maybe three, four months, I still had my entire body scarred from all of this inflammation. And in sunlight, you could see my entire body have like, I was almost like an octopus with those rings around it. (laughs) Like in sunlight, in light, you could see that I was shining in a very weird way. And you could see all the star, all the scars on my skin. But all of that went away eventually. But man, this was a really shitty thing. It, I, it, it, was, it was very scary. And I'm pretty sure I got some permanent hormone damage to my body. Because I was taking so much estrogen at the age of 18 for six months. What? So yeah, I had to, mm-hmm. I had to cover my entire body from my neck to my ankles in estrogen cream for three to six months, I think, every day, twice a day. So do you think the diagnosis helped at all? Or do you think you just resolved this issue by yourself? The diagnosis really, really helped, right? Because initially I thought, okay, I'm fucked for life. Because when you Google this, right, when you Google symptoms like this, something called psoriasis shows up. And right. psoriasis is something that stays on forever. It doesn't go away. So I thought, okay, I'm fucked. I, I'm going to have this forever now. And I'm going to have this from my, for, from my 
you know, neck all the way to my toes. I'm never going to be able to go to the gym again. And this is going to be a, such a pain in the ass. But the diagnosis, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> so this thing is eventually going to go away. Okay, so that's good. We have something working for me, at least. It gave you some so hope. The di- yeah, the diagnosis gave me more hope. But the treatment was damaging to my body, right? It, it, covering yourself up in estrogen for months and months is not good for you. It fucks up your mood. And, you know, I'm... Did it mess up your mood? Were you, were you getting yeah, cranky? I don't remember, to be honest, right? Uh, I just, it's been like eight, nine years now. I'm pretty sure I was cranky from the pain or the estrogen. I can't tell. Did it hurt your confidence? No, I didn't give a shit. Like, it did, I was going to the gym, right? With with all these red shit on my neck. Right. I, I, w- I was never a very embarrassed person about it. I wasn't too embarrassed about it. But it was just painful. And I wanted the pain to end. Like even one trickle of sweat would spend like an actual chill down my spine. And back at 18, right, I did not have the mental fortitude I have today. It, I was still a kid. Mm-hmm. And although I was still being extremely productive, trying to use my time at home as best as I could, I read a lot, I read a lot of books. I studied a lot. In fact, I posted a picture of the 90-day challenge I did when I had this disease. Mm-hmm. It was still harsh on my body. And yeah, the, the estrogen shit was really fucked up, right? I'm pretty, I, I have like very, very mild gyno because of it. It's not visible, but I have it. So if I, I flex my chest, like gynecomastia, uh-huh. like I have very mild gyno because of covering myself up for, from estrogen for like three, four months. So if I flex my chest really hard, you can see it, but otherwise you can't really see it. Interesting, man. And do you still have like any of this or is it like completely gone now? It's completely gone. It's like a bad memory now. Or it's gone like this picture. Boom. Um, Boom. Well, that's a very interesting thing, man. Well, interesting in a bad way, but it's good that you were able to come out of this because it seemed as though you were just uncertain for some time because this was like the first time that you've ever had something like this happen to you. Yeah, man, this was a hard time, right? Nobody knew what was going on exactly. The mm-hmm. doctors thought it was a, you know, a fungal infection, but then they were like, "This is not a fungal infection, and we don't really know what's up." And the treatment was extremely aggressive. This was hard on my mother. This was like my mother and father. They they were more concerned than I was. For me, it was like, okay, fine, you know, I'll just deal with it forever. I'll find a way out. But mm-hmm. my mother was upset about it. So she would apply the estrogen creams all over my body. And it was just, uh, it was harder on her psychologically. Like to know that I can't sleep and, you know, it's hurting me. And I find you know, I, itching is painful. And if I itch, it starts bleeding really, really fast. Yeah. Well, the g- good thing part was that like, most people couldn't see it, right? Because like you were wearing long sleeves. It's like your gym trainer mainly knew and your parents. Or were other people like just like, hey, what's up with your skin? So initially, you know, when I was wearing long sleeves, you couldn't see it. But after a while, this thing had spread everywhere and you could definitely tell I had it. Like it was all over my neck. And for example, if you wear that shirt, right, you can see some of your chest, most of your neck, all red. Mm -hmm. Half of it is bleeding. And, you know, you're... You know, the, the back of your palm has this 
and you can't cover everything up so people know something is up but did they ask uh, you like hey what is that i only had two people ask me the rest mm. just you know then ask maybe they did not want to ask or i they just wanted to stay away thinking maybe it might be contagious i don't know yeah but i only had two people ask me and yeah man it was a shit time to be alive i really would not wish this on anybody i mean skin issues are one of the toughest especially when you google that i i think one of the worst things you can do <laughs> is google uh, this stuff cuz they scared the like the shit out of you you're just like oh my god like you know um like my brother for a certain period had like severe acne and the thing is it's like right on his face so my mom i think had some similar psychological stuff as your mom cuz she had to like actually put the cream on his face and like different people would just come up to him and be like what's wrong with your face oh my god you know like it was severe acne and it could hurt your confidence uh like it i know it didn't hurt your confidence but for a lot of issues in regards to like skin it uh, it makes people like just second guess themselves yeah i can see what you mean i can see what you mean mhm even like, weight can hurt people's confidence like especially mm-hmm. women yeah well I had like the little flaky stuff that happened one time which like long uh, like just looking in hindsight it wasn't a big issue. The big issue was when I got like my first ever bald spot. I I thought like my barber messed up. I like went up to my barber like hey, you gave me a bald spot and he's like no no no, that wasn't me. So I ended up going to like my dermatologist and she at that time didn't really know what was happening. So she was just like, "Hmm, this is unique. I uh, let me get back to you in regards to this." And I was in college, and I had the bald spots started to add up. I had one, then I just had like two big ones like right here. And I was just wearing caps everywhere, right? And one day I go to this one like social with a bunch of my fraternity brothers, and one of the guys like knocks my cap off. And I I'm, I'm like surrounded by other people, and they all like look at my head. and they're like whoa what the heck is that cuz i have like all these different bald spots and they start making fun of me and for the next couple of <laughs> like uh days like whenever i'm going to these social events like these different guys are like you know joking around but they're challenging uh to see who could knock my cap off right so i'm like <laughs> so i'm like man bro like i'm actually cruel sometimes yes yeah, so i'm like i'm like okay i'm not going to go to these uh socials until this hair gets fixed Well, one day I go to class and I have my cap on and we have to take a test and apparently like you can't wear caps when there's a test because some people like write the answers like right here. Uh. So so my teacher's like you got to take your cap off. I was like, "Look, lady, you do not want me to take my cap off right now." And she's like, "Arman, I said take your cap off." I was like, "Shit, man." Because the way that lecture halls are here, bro, it's huge like there's like 200 300 people on actual test day so i end up taking my cap off and i'm like walking uh, like up the uh, like walking to my seat and i just hear a gasp like from like 200 300 people like <gasps> it was so embarrassing so those type of issues can uh, like get under your skin uh, especially when people are like What, what's wrong with you you know Mm. So wait, did you take your cap off and what happened? I took my cap off and it's like a big like <gasps> and like I couldn't do anything about it cuz I didn't really know these kids, right? Um 
I mean, they weren't like my friends or anything like that. They were just kids I went to class with. Uh, but I, I took the exam and then I was like, I got to get this resolved. And then one day my cousin from Indiana comes to Tampa and she's like, I noticed your ball spots. I was like, okay. And she's like, and she's like adjusting her hair and she shows me the exact ball spot on her uh, hair. I was like, what the heck? You get them too? And so now at least I'm getting some clarity. I'm like, okay, so I'm not the only one. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, ask your dermatologist for these shots. So I go back to my dermatologist. I'm like, do you have these shots? She's like, I do. So she starts like injecting shots into my head. And within two to three weeks, it starts to grow back. In addition to that, I was also putting in Rogaine and uh, these like uh, this foam, which is very expensive. But but it was getting annoying, man, like because you couldn't find much articles on Google. Like this was happening around like 2011. So there weren't many articles. And if you were seeing articles, they were like those like super scary articles, like chances are you have cancer or something like that. And I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to read that. <laughs> but, but, but seeing my cousin like with the same issue, I was just like, oh, thank God. Like there's at least someone else with this. Because I didn't know, man. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I feel you, bro. I remember this was like 10 years ago. My father, he got a bald spot on his beard. Like he has a mustache and he got it on his mustache. And he was freaking out. He's like, well, wait a minute. I'm going to look like an idiot without my mustache. And this thing is going to keep growing and growing and growing. Yeah. And he went to a bunch of doctors and the doctors could not help him. And the only thing that worked for him, like he fixed it. But what worked was eating a whole bunch of walnuts every day. Walnuts? Walnuts. That's what he claims. I'm not sure if that was the reason or if it was just some infection that cleared out. Mm-hmm. But he says he's been eating a lot of walnuts every single day and he hasn't had hair issues. Mm. So I don't know. But I've heard people take finasteride for getting the hair back. Have you heard that? No, I didn't. But it just like when you brought that up, like a memory just came in my mind. There was one guy that was like making fun of me a lot. Like he was like, uh, like just creating like nicknames and stuff about me. And it was, it was strange that he was the one like making fun of me that much because his hairline was actually getting pushed back. Dude, I saw him like a year and a half ago at a wedding. He's completely bald right now. And it's such karmic justice. Like he's over here making fun of me for like balding two to three years ago. Or excuse me, like in 2011, 2012. He's like, you're going to be bald one day. And just like a few years goes on by. And now he's like the complete bald one. And I have a full head of hair. (laughs) (laughs) So it just shows like, but bro, like you don't want to make fun of someone that's going through certain health stuff. Because like you never know what's going to happen to you. Man, I don't think it's a good idea to make fun of something that the person can't change. Right. Because then people take it in the wrong way, right? Like you still remember it. Like you remember being made fun of even though so much time has passed. And you, at some level, you kind of hold some resentment towards the people who made fun of you for it. And you like seeing their downfall. And if possible, you would create that downfall and not tell anybody or play some role in it if you could. And I think making fun of people for things that they can do nothing about 
is just creating extra enemies for yourself. For example, if I start making fun of you for, you know, being brown or for being a Muslim or for being, you know, you know, not being six and a half feet or whatever. And let's say that you consider this to be some deficiency in yourself. You know, if someone has ball spots, they are concerned about their ball spots. They're insecure about it. And you're mocking them for their ball spot. Mm-hmm. They are going to hold resentment against you for that thing. They are not going to see it as a joke because it's not a joke for them. For them, this is a very serious thing that's happening and they are not able to fix it. They're stuck. And they're going to rejoice. They're going to get happy when something bad happens to you because this is what you made them feel. And to top it off, they might actually make bad things happen for you as an act of revenge. Hey, so you made fun of my ball spots. Okay, then, you know, I'm not going to tell you who punctured your car, even though I saw it. (laughs) That could happen. But it was crazy because he had this like long hair and like this guy was like 6'2". He would like he, he would get a lot of girls because like the girls like like the long hair, like a Palestinian guy. So him just like suddenly completely bald. Um, it's not any sort of health issue or anything like that. It's just like uh, his dad is pure bald, too. So I think it's a genetic thing. But it's like, whoa, man, like you never know what's going to happen like that. Um so the memory just came up in my mind and I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I saw him at the wedding. I was like, oh, okay. there you go, bro. <laughs> but I wasn't like malicious <laughs> or anything like that. But it's like, you want to be very careful in terms of making fun of, like, you don't want to be making fun of people like just in general, especially if you're leveling up. Because I mean, you're just, if you're a stand up guy, like you're still going to create enemies just because of human nature. And you don't want to just go out of your way to create more enemies by just making fun of people and like talking shit on their posts and stuff like that. Like being kind in some ways has like a lot of practical benefits, especially if you're improving yourself. I agree with you a hundred percent. In fact, this is why I would only make fun of you for being too rich or for being too intelligent. You're too rich, Arman, way too rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, suddenly two years later, Harsh is a billionaire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm really surprised no one like roasted you or anything like that in uh, w- with your skin stuff. And a lot of the times, man, it's just like genuine concern too, where it's um like they don't mean any harm by it, but they'll ask a question in a way where like, oh my God, like what happened? And it's like, you know that's one that's one thing that like really makes like people uncertain like when you're when it's something health related like in my last job we had to do these like physicals right one time they measure my like blood work or like my pulse rate and the guy is terrified he's like sir are you okay i was like yeah he's like are you sure i was like yeah like why are you asking me that he's like your pulse rate is awful. Uh, like you may get a heart attack any second. <laughs> what the fuck? I was like, what? What are you? I was like, what are you saying, bro? He's like, uh, like, what, what did you eat? Like, what's your life cycle, uh, lifestyle like? And he's making me scared because he has like his little uniform on, and you know, like the whole psychology thing. Whenever someone has a uniform on, you automatically like see them in that higher regards. 
Mm-hmm. So he has like his little uniform on. He's like, sir, like I, if I were you, I would go to the doctor ASAP. Like you may get a heart attack at any moment. I was like, man, like this is terrifying. So I tell my coworkers, I'm like, guys, I, I may get a heart attack. And they're over here laughing at me. You know, it's boys being boys. They're like, haha, you're about to get a heart attack <laughs> as, as a joke. And I, I don't know what to do. So I'm like going on and I'm going on Google and stuff like that. <laughs> And they're over here scaring me. They're like, oh, yeah, you're definitely going to get a heart attack. Hey, Arman, I want to be on the well. <laughs> you want to be on the well. <laughs> and then uh, eventually I go to this doctor and <clears throat> he measures my pulse rate. And he's like, you seem fine to me, son. And then he starts asking me a lot of these questions. And he's like, wait, did you drink coffee before that guy measured you? And I was like, yeah, I drank two cups of coffee. He's like, that's why. That's why it registered as your pulse rate being very quick. Next time, don't drink coffee before one of those physical examinations. And just like that, the problem was solved. But in a state of 48 hours, bro, I was panicking. Like, I was really scared. Because <laughs> if someone All tells I you... Know is that you're going to get a heart attack and I want to be on the way. Because if someone tells you, like, with authority that you're going to get a heart attack, now there's, like, that level of uncertainty when you're moving. When you're like walking, you're like, oh, yeah, let me not walk too fast now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> man, this shit is too funny. <laughs> yeah, man. So for anyone that has a physical coming up, do not drink coffee beforehand. Man, coffee makes your blood pressure and your pulse rate go up. I, I measure my blood pressure every day, right? I have this machine from this company called Omron. And it was originally for my father, but I just found it and I've been using it. Mm. And when I don't have coffee, when I just, you know, measure it in the morning, my blood pressure would be something like 110 by 70. And my pulse would be like 55 or 60 or 65, between 55 and 65. But if I've had coffee, my blood pressure would be like 120, 80, 125, 85 or something like that. Uh, Especially if I've done some coffee and I walk a bit here and there. And my heart rate would be like 80. Mm -hmm. So coffee definitely makes your heart rate go up by a lot. What's your thoughts on coffee? Like, do you drink it routinely or are you someone that is weaning it out? So I don't drink coffee anymore. I used to drink a lot of coffee, like every single day, maybe one, one and a half cup. Nowadays, I will drink one coffee a month when I'm waking up early for something. So if I'm going hiking and I'm going to drive a couple of hours, then I'm going to drink coffee because I'm going to drive in the morning and I'm not slept as much. Or if I'm waking up early and I want to be extra productive today, so I'll have coffee. So I have coffees on specific days when I want the extra productivity. But in general, I no longer consume coffee, caffeine. Mm, okay. And you, you still have energy and all of that? Yeah, I still have energy. In fact, I have more energy than I did back when I was consuming so much caffeine because I'm sleeping better. Gotcha. I I drink two cups a day. I think that's fine. You know, when I was drinking coffee, as long as I would drink it in the morning, I was just fine. But if you drink it in the evening, I would get screwed up. I could not sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like Like for me, I'll drink it one in the morning and one at like... 12 and i'll just cut it off then you have you tried Mm -hmm. go ahead have i tried what 
have you tried going without caffeine for a couple of months and seeing what happens see this is the unique thing with writing like writing in general cuz you're pretty much chronicling your life and one day i was over here uh, like there was actually a certain period where i cut out coffee and i wrote about it and as i was compiling one of my books i was collecting a lot of my newsletters into one and i'm like wait a minute there was actually a phase where i quit coffee <laughs> and i'm reading this article as to why i quit coffee I, you know and as i'm reading it it's like mm, i recall that stage now and it's like i don't think it's worth the hype like there's like a lot of like tweets and stuff that i see like i co- quit coffee and here's how my life switched for the best it's like i see that but like having experimented with no coffee and with coffee i like my life way better with coffee i can see your perspective i i think it makes sense to drink coffee for a lot of people like i know some guys that drink decaf coffee i'm like bro getting decaf what's coffee what's the point what's the point yeah that's like ordering indian food without spice i'm like what's the point you know like a hooker you can't fuck like, <laughs> like alcohol without liquor i'm like then what the hell are you drinking alcohol in the first place <laughs> i think they have like liquor free beer or something like that it's like what's wrong with you bro yeah man it's some things just don't make sense in the world but there's demand for it but i i i definitely see the value in people who drink coffee like i used to drink a lot of coffee before mm. and i back then i used to think i was better than others because i was drinking coffee but i drink three cups of coffee you only drink one so <laughs> i will part of the deal guys will find different ways to like uh, like compete at times and i don't know about over there but here like there was a certain uh, f- f- period or some guys will determine what makes you manly what makes you a pussy uh so i know you're a vegetarian as uh, do you eat chicken or is that something you stay away from too cuz i know some vegetarians like they have a relationship with chicken occasionally occasionally okay well uh, here harsh like you cannot eat boneless wings the wings have to have bones in it otherwise you're a pussy right <laughs> another thing that they say is uh i you have to drink beer a real man drink beer if you can't drink it in like one chug then you're a pussy and these people that are making these rules one day i'm like looking at them and i'm like looking at this guy like scratching his belly fat smells i'm like when did you become the beacon of masculinity <laughs> how <laughs> you 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 who made you set the rules yeah and i was like some of these rules like it's just created by like a guy that should not be creating rules he, they repeat it with confidence and then other people just pick it up i think a lot of these things are just so fun <laughs> though you know <laughs> they they would roast you bro like if you're going out with your boys and you're getting boneless wings they're like ah man come on bro and they'll try to peer pressure you and it's like but why would you order boneless wings i don't know cuz i don't want to get my fingers dirty <laughs> i'm putting you in this spot <laughs> i don't want to get my fingers dirty um it's really like unsexy too like we're going on a date and you guys it's like bro um I don't really believe in going to eat on your first date. I I think like you should just keep a light and go with coffee or something. What do you normally do on your first date? Like what are your intentions and where do you go? Um like literally dude, I- I'll go to a coffee to like fill out the situation. If it's smooth, then we'll go to another spot and that spot is going to depend up- upon the 
like the girl. So I start off with coffee. Like I know some guys here that'll like go on like full course, like dinner the first night. Um, and let's say they don't even vibe like that. And it's just like a waste of time. Dinners should be kept for like the second or third date. But in the beginning, I believe the lighter, the better. What do you do? Wait, You're I have a, a question. Yes. You didn't tell me what your intentions are on the first day. Like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to sleep with the girl or are you just trying to get to know her better? What are you trying to do on the first day? It depends, bro. It's not like a one size fits all approach. Like some girls, like I could see them like being potential wifey. So like for them, like I'll try to get to know them deeper. And like some girls I could tell, like they're not like really about it the first date. Other girls, like you could just tell from like, like if I know them from beforehand, like there's typically like signs, like she's, she finds me attractive. I find her attractive. So it really depends upon the girl that I'm speaking to. It's not like all dates are with one intention. Some are for wifey, some are for hooking up. I see. That makes sense. Personally, because, I yeah. go, go on. Well, because you want to read the room. Like some guys, like they get like, this model of how to talk to girls alone and they try to like enforce it on like everyone. And these are the people that struggle the most because it's like, you got to read the room very well. What were you going to say? I think you're right about that. You can't treat all girls the same because they're not the same. What I... about you? Like what are your intentions and all of that? In my case, I'm, I typically go on a dinner date in the sense that I, I don't do coffee dates as much because I'm a big guy. I get hungry. I need to eat. <laughs> and uh, there's a restaurant which is very close to my house, which serves really, really good food. So what I normally do is I call girls to that restaurant. And what would happen to me earlier, right? This is, this is something I figured out many years ago, but girls like to come like five, 10 minutes late to the date just to show that they're not super desperate. So because this restaurant is like a five, six, it's like a three minute walk from my house. I would have them come to the restaurant and once they reach, they would message me, where are you? And only then I would leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> and most of the time, right, girls have very boring lives where they have nothing going on. They just do their job. They come back and they, you know, they're bored as hell. So most girls are boring. They're not fun to be around. And I really like this restaurant. So this restaurant had the advantage that even if the girl was boring, at least I would have a great meal. Mm. So that was pretty much my intention. I, I generally do not believe in trying to fuck the girl on the first date. I think it's a... I think it just kind of gets you into relationships with bad women. I think you should just get to know them a bit better. I've I wasn't a big PUA type person anyway. And mm -hmm. it's not something I want to dedicate too much of my life to. Fucking girls. It's like, who cares? So I've been on a lot of dates, but I typically do things that I want to do for things like something like badminton. I want to play badminton. So how about you come and play badminton with me? Or I'm going swimming. Why don't you join me? Or I'm going to hike this easy hike so you can come with me. And things of that sort. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do things like coffee dates because I don't really like coffee dates. So it has to be fun for me. I, 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 if I do want to do it, then I don't do it. Yeah, yeah. 
I think like what your pattern is, like that's something I keep open for like second, third, fourth dates. Um, the coffee date is more so like a filter. Like what kind of person are you? Like, can you talk? Like, are, are you the person that's just kind of like just showing up and, you know, you can't even formulate a sentence because then I don't want to do any fun thing with you. Or with the coffee date, it's an easy exit strategy. Or once you're done with the coffee, let's say you're talking to a person that's like, uh, not really like fun, then you could be like, all right, well, it was nice meeting you, then boom, done. But if you're committing to like, let's say going hiking, and <laughs> this person is like dry. Um, so that's why it depends on the context. Sometimes you know the person beforehand, where if you know the person beforehand, that will like give you more flexibility. Coffee date is more for like, let's say someone is setting you up, or it's like an app or something like that. Do you use any of the apps? I made an account in Bumble two days ago just to check it out because I've been cutting a lot of fat now. I've, I'm down to 85 kilos and I'm looking way, way better than I did back when I was at 100. Because how lean is in. Yeah, I'm, I'm much leaner. I'm still big. I'm not small, but I'm much leaner. And I wanted to see how well my cut has done for me. So I made a Bumble account and I think it's done pretty well because I got like 72 matches on Bumble in two days. And Whoa. I got, like 50, I got like 55 or so, you know, the girls actually sent me a hello or something. The rest did not. So the close rate wasn't like 100%, of course. But the close rate is bad. never 100% for any guys. Like you could be the most handsome guy on the planet. They don't even have a 100% close rate. Most no, what I mean like, is, well, no, 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 I'm trying to like tuck yeah. you up, like you know, um, <laughs> like just, just so like people that are listening to this, like rejection and stuff, that's a part of the game. Mm -hmm. But 72, that's a lot, bro. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's a lot or not because I don't really use these apps that much. This is my first time just making an account and I just wanted to see if my pictures are good or not. I wanted to pay, put these pictures on like a you know, bio data or something, you know, so <laughs> I wanted to check if they were good or not. You're um, and I, validating it. Yeah, I was just trying, you know, doing market a research. A stress test, a market research, yes. <laughs> and uh, apparently 72 matches is a lot, but I don't really get it in the sense that there are like thousands of girls using these apps. So why would 72 be high? But I have some friends who tell me they get like five matches a month or some say like they never got a match. So... I think that, see, my profile is entirely just like four pictures of me, three or four pictures. And, you know, like a quick bio, like I'm interested in meeting girls. And, you know, I like to drive and hike and I'm into boxing. And that's pretty much it. I have like two, three prompts set up. And my phone just kept going ping, 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 ping. And I remember I, I, I sent you some pictures, sent you some screenshots of the, the Bumble app. Some of these girls are actually pretty cute, but my point is that it's become so easy for men to get dates now. Like, like to get set, if I if I actually dedicate myself to becoming a PUA, I'm willing to bet I could sleep with a different girl every couple of days just with this one app alone because I'm getting in touch with so many women now. This was not possible 10, 15 years ago. You couldn't meet 72 different girls. In oh, yeah, you had to go to a mall days. and like break ice and stuff yeah but those girls you were breaking ice it was cold all of these girls they're like looking for a relationship or something casual they're, they're looking to sleep with somebody yeah 
So this is like a very warm lead if you want to put it in terms of sales. Like these are warm leads. <laughs> um, I wonder like what the selection is like there. Um, because 72 matches within two days, that's not normal. Because uh, I, I, I do know guys that have yet to get even one match. It's become so easy to meet girls, especially if you just want to fuck lots of them. You can just have an app. And this app is going to introduce you to dozens of women every few hours. That's completely crazy. Yeah. Um, in terms of your looks, like you don't have to go in detail, but would you say like in terms of looks like you're higher in terms of good, good looking and do you know how to take pictures well? I know how to take pictures well. And the trick is to have a woman take pictures for you. Mm. Women take really, really good pictures. They they do it all day, right? So they have a lot of practice with the angles and everything. As for looks, I've asked some of my female friends and they've said like, okay, some would say like eight and a half, some would say eight, some would say nine. But I would say eight, eight and a half. I still need to lose a couple of kilos to lose look my best. I'm maybe at 17% body fat right now. Okay, the reason I'm asking that is because, like, I do know guys that, like, haven't gotten matches in, like, for a really long time. And if they get it, it's, like, a special occasion. Like, oh, my, like, you know, like, they'll probably, like, talk about it. And it's, like, I wonder how much of the long tail is hitting, like, dating apps where, like, the top-looking guys are getting, like, all the matches while the general public, like, they're not getting as many matches. I mean, I don't know any data in regards to that, but I'm curious if there has been data on that. I think there is some data on this. I think what one thing that must have worked really well in my favor on this particular app is that this app lists your height and I'm mm. more than six feet tall. So that could have worked in my favor. I'm willing to bet some girls have had their cutoffs at, okay, I want to see guys who are above six feet. And, yeah. you know, maybe in India, it's like five guys. So, <laughs> that, may be a bet, good, that may be a that good reason be a as to why yeah and that could be a factor but i think that the pictures are like almost as good as professionally taken i have like a really good beard going on and i think those factors appearance factors really plays a role in these apps right because i have nothing else on the app that might play a role i have my height and i have some pictures my bio is meaningless it says, says i'm interested in girls like who cares everybody is <laughs> so those are the it's only two things the there. Mm-hmm. If someone wants more matches and they're having struggle, they're struggling with these things, I would say you just need to take much better pictures than you might be taking. So, so if you're not getting any matches, you just need to like get fitter, you know, get look more muscular and take like hotter pictures of you. And you want to signal stuff with your pictures. Right? So I have a picture of me hiking, which you know conveys that okay, so I'm adventurous. I have a picture of me driving. Okay, so I, you know, I have a car and I, you know, I know how to drive. Mm-hmm. I have a picture mm-hmm. of me barbecuing. So, you know, I must know how to cook, even though I don't. Yeah. And I have a nice picture of me with, you know, a girl's hair on the sides. So, you know, I have some friends. Man, one time my girl cousin, she was like sitting next to me and she's like, let me show you what I have to deal with. And she's over here, like showing me her version of the dating app and how she's seeing a bunch of guys. And man, like, 
many guys don't know how to take a picture at all. Like they're blurry. Like their head is literally chopped off. Their dog is like licking their face. And you only see like this part of their face. I'm like, man, if this is like a, watch this guy be like a normal presentable looking person in real life, but <laughs> he's making such a poor impression due to his pictures. Yeah. I think this entire game is about having good pictures. Because mm-hmm. that's all, like, at least when I was swiping left and right, I was only, sw- I was not reading any girl's bio. I didn't have the time for that shit. I spent 20 minutes swiping and all I did was right swipe, right swipe. If a fat chick shows up, I swipe left. <laughs> so if you're not fat, I swipe right on you. And yeah. that's all I did. I'm willing to bet girls to something similar, right? They just swipe right if the guy looks good. No, girls by default swipe left. Like women are literally looking for a reason to disqualify men are looking for a reason to qualify so when my cousin was like doing it she's just swiping left 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 i'm like man like you're not even like looking at some of them it's like he didn't even put a bio like if he doesn't even have that sort of effort what do you think he's going to show for me but every now and then she'd stop like if the guy like if you're a decent looking guy with decent pictures like you're like this unicorn that just sticks out from the girl's side of the app then she'll take a pause but other than that, the default for girls is swipe left. Default for guys is swipe right. Ah, uh-huh, I see. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense from my guy's perspective. All I did was swipe right on all the hot chicks. Anyone who is fat or ugly or something, I just swipe left. I didn't read any bio. I don't think anyone has time for that. And I think that all these matches are so many that it's it's impossible to have any normal conversation, right? For example, I, I got like out of these 70 some matches, I got like 50 or so girls who replied yes or, you know, hi or send me a gift or something. And, you know, they're not expecting you to respond hi back. They want you to send something witty back. They want you to read their bio and, you know, respond something witty. And I just don't have time for that. So I just gave it to my assistant. Like, you do this. You <laughs> read their hard. bio, leave them like some interesting response. Swipe and for me. Yeah, dude, swipe for me. I just, you know, she knows the basic shit, okay? Like, you mm. wouldn't swipe right on any fat chicks. Swipe, you know, if, if you see any girl, you know, like that has, that's wearing a bikini or something, definitely swipe right. And she's a smart chick. So she's been doing that. And, uh, you know, she's been like looking at, you know, the girl's bio and leaving some response. And she's a girl. So she knows what the girl wants to hear. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you got it like that. Um, but I'm you, definitely going to delete this app because I've made this mistake once. This was back, this was some years back where I just spent so much of my time going out with lots of women that I just think I was not very productive that year. And this year I need to be ex- especially productive. I have a lot of stuff going on. So I just made this app to, you know, validate my pictures. And I've done that. <laughs> the pictures are good, apparently. Mm-hmm. So I don't really want to get sucked into the whole dating market again right now. But go well, on. Yeah, it's not only the dating market, dude. It's like keeping up with the conversations is a form of like mental jujitsu. Um, there's this YouTube channel called Pop Shift, and they have some entertainment for Desi Americans. Recently, they've uh, been doing this blind date show, right? And I believe episode three, there was this Indian guy that got on the show. And he was talking about in one of his past relationships, I believe he matched with like three to five girls and he was interested in all of them, uh, but he was having different conversations with all of them. So apparently he created an Excel sheet or (laughs) something like that. And he was over here managing his um, 
convos on the Excel sheet. Dude, that clip was posted on TikTok and he was getting roasted by the girls. Like, who does something like that? What a freak. You know, Man, how, guy- you can't call him a freak if he has so many matches that he can't handle. <laughs> to make an exception. Like, this guy's winning. And some of the guys were like, mm, that's actually low key a good idea. Because here's the thing when you are turning a conversation from surface level to semi deep, not even deep, but just semi deep, um, and you have, let's say, five players, like five girls, it becomes so freaking complex. Uh, just with. Uh, surface to semi-deep where you ask this girl about like her hobbies and stuff this girl like she went to let's say bahamas like this girl like you know she just got out of work and you're just over here balancing these different um conversations and you have to basically make a mental note of okay this is already what i've talked about simultaneously you have to think of like you know fun things to say to keep the conversation going so if you have a certain level of matches and you're investing in conversations and like uh, to eventually meet up and such, it could get complex quick. Definitely, man. And I know, I know what you mean because to some of these girls, I asked them their name, and then you know I was talking to like five, six other girls, and then I asked them this. this I asked the same girl her name again. And she's like, I just told you my name. <laughs> that's when I realized, okay, I, I can't waste my time doing this. It's impossible to talk to so many people at once. Right. And I need to outsource this stuff. But man, this shit is... I can totally see men drowning in this Tinder and Bumble and all these apps shit. Because I'm telling you, if I set my mind to just dating... I could sleep with at least two girls a week off this one app alone. It would consume my life, of course. I would have to talk to lots of girls, go out like every day or so. But I can see young people doing that. Like someone at 21, I can see him doing this. If you got 72 matches from girls, from warm leads, you could say. Like, Let me just use marketing terms. From warm leads to... Mm -hmm. Who want your product? Let's say, let's say, let's use that. At the age of 21, 22, would you not do that? You would. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're in college and you're like a guy here, um, when I was in college, bro, and like my friend circles, like if we wanted to, like, let's say, talk to girls, sometimes we'd go to the mall. And that's like super cold, right? But other times, like, you know, we'd go to parties and you meet girls that way other times like you throw the parties that's when the girls come up to you but the options of like you could literally be at your home and like you're talking to these girls that didn't even exist so like i could definitely see like a 21 year old just getting sucked into these apps man if i had these apps and i was matching girls at 21 i don't think i would be nearly as successful as I am today, I would just be like fucking girls. Like, it just for shows, sure. Yeah, it just shows you how fast something can grow. Where 2012 was the first time I ever heard of Tinder. And for my engineering group, there was this one uh, white guy. I think his name was Matthew. And he was 27, which was considered pretty old from the rest of the group. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm trying to like look for a girl. And I've been using this app called Tinder. And we thought of him as like such a weird dude. We're just like, 
Tinder? Like, what the heck is that? And you're trying to meet a girl in an app? Like, who does that? But now it's like, um, I've seen like two marriages get started from Bumble. Um, last year, like, I knew, knew, I saw like a few weddings and all of them happened by meeting online dating. So what's seen as a joke at one stage can suddenly become like this very uh, serious thing. And you could even say the norm uh, as some time passes by. Man, I'm telling you, this Bumble shit is going to become an all-consuming thing for a lot of young people. Have you been doing anything fun with those 72 matches? Not so far. I have some of them on WhatsApp now, but I'm not going to... I, I really, I'm going to, I don't want to re repeat the mistake I made a couple of years ago and wasted a full year, you could say, or wasted like a lot of that year. And because at the end of the day, when you're dating a lot of girls at once, like you're dating like three, four girls at once, it becomes hard in the sense that you both your weekends are booked. Sometimes your weekdays are booked and women will like unload their, you know, the thing they have going on in their life on you and you have to talk to them. It, it becomes like something that sucks up a couple of hours every single day. I don't want to repeat that. And personally, I'm at like, I'm 27 now, right? I'm too old to, you know, doing this PUA shit and I'm more in the market for something more serious right now. So mm -hmm. I really don't want to waste more time on Bumble. What does Harsh look for in a woman? Because I believe I know your deal breakers. Like, what do you... Like, what are the few green flags that you have? It depends on what I'm trying to achieve, right? So if back when I was 22, I wouldn't, like, she should be hot. No, for marriage, for marriage, for this stage. For marriage, I would like a girl who's young, who wants children, is capable. So I don't particularly care if she wants to work or doesn't want to work. That's, you know, who gives a shit? And if she wants to work, then she can work. But I, not, not like a corporate job. But some kind of entrepreneurship that is good, uh, not a feminist, or at least like not a, not an annoying feminist. You know, all girls are feminists to some extent, where they believe you know guys and men should go, men and women should be equal. Everything it, it it's, it's very very it's nearly impossible to find a girl who does not think so. But you want to avoid like I, I don't want any, you know, girl that complains about patriarchy and things like that. So like a normal, psychologically normal female who is intelligent and capable and young and pretty is a viable candidate. And of course, she should come from a good family, be well-educated and you know, the basic requirements. You know, if, if you marry a girl whose family is broke, then that's like a, that's a dumb thing for on your part because you're going to have to pay for them, right? You're going to have to send them money and it's not a good dynamic. So you would want the girl's family to be well-connected so your network increases by marrying them. Like If they're influential, that's good. If they're some kind of political person, that's even better. So you want to gain something from a marriage. You don't want to lose something. Mm. Do you... Well, that's actually a good point you made with like the family ties as well. I don't think a lot of guys think like that. They'll just like, she's hot, I'm down. But you're yeah, most guys are wide. dumb, right? Most guys are dumb. The way I think of a marriage is it's like a business decision where I want to marry a girl. I would get some advantage from marrying her in the sense that 
you know, if she's pretty and young and intelligent and, you know, capable, then I'm going to have kids that are also pretty and intelligent and capable themselves. And the girl's family, if she's well-connected, if she's influential, if she comes from an influential, rich or politically connected family, then I get some benefits from that, don't I? So my Mm -hmm. network increases. I get like people who are loyal to me from her family. And in case I have some issues or I have some trouble or I need to meet someone or need an introduction, they can help me out with that. If they're politically connected, then in case I have some trouble, they can sort it out for me. And, you know, I, you know, my family also has those things to back it up. So I think that marriage, the way I think of marriage is slightly more like how I think of business. I'm Mm. not super romantic as a person. I'm more rational. It's something I've picked up from women, actually. Picked up what from women? Being irrational when it comes to marriage. In the sense that Mm. most guys are like really dumb when it comes to marriage. They're not rational at all. They just want to like, they just want a girl that's pretty. That's it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they fall in love, then they fall in love. And, you know, then they're willing to overlook anything. But women are extremely rational when it comes to love. They won't fall in love with a guy who makes less money than them. They won't fall in love with a guy who they can't like, you know, look up to or, you know. I, I, let me explain this with an example, Okay. A girl would say things like, this guy is really hot, but he doesn't earn enough. And that's why I can't marry him. He doesn't have the income potential. But you will never find a guy that says, this girl is really hot, but she doesn't earn enough. So I can't marry her. (laughs) That doesn't happen. So girls are rational. They will ignore things like looks for things that are more tangible, like income or personality and things like that. So I've picked that up from women. I've I'm like, wait a minute, let me not be naive like every other guy and just go for plain looks. Let me also look at other things. Let me also treat it like a business decision. Mm-hmm. That's something girls are wired to do. And that's something I've taken from them. I've taken something useful. That's good. I mean, that's actually like an outlier where m- most guys are definitely what you're describing. They're like, they look at the physical appearance alone, which can take you far, but it doesn't take you far enough, you know? Um, I like to view, like, humans as books, where a book has, a like, a the manuscript, and then it has the book cover as well. The book cover is the physical appearance, but the manuscript is, like, the mental state. So if you guys are completely different, and, like, they literally have the personality type that drains you, and you're spending your entire life with that, it's like, it's going to be like, you could put up an act for so long. Like, I know this one couple where, I know this one couple that, um, like, the husband, like, likes to drink. But it's just, like, one to two drinks at the end of the night to unwind. While the girl doesn't, like, you know, tolerate that at all. And it's like, he's, like, trying to put up this charade that he doesn't drink at all. But, <laughs> like, but it's oh, like... Wow. Yeah, I'm like, dude, like, eventually she's going to find out and you got to like, you got to be you. And it's like, like, they both fell in love with each other in terms of the physical sense, but like mentally, they're very different. So that's a different thing to just weigh in. I, I can see what I see what you mean, but I think that some things you can forgive, some things you can't forgive. 
mm-hmm. you know, some guy drinking behind your back is something you can probably forgive. But yeah, but it's like one of those things where like she's like, she's like really against it. So it's like yeah, there are certain things you could forgive, but it's like to what degree? It's like let's say like a girl like she meets meets all of life math money's requirements, but she's just like I'm not a virgin. Like some guys will be like, oh, well, whatever. I mean, like at least you meet the other check boxes. Or for you, like past episodes, you're like, that's a deal breaker. You know, yeah, that's a deal breaker. Yeah. So it's just like everyone is different, and like what they, what they have, um, what they have in regards to like importance is going to vary. Yeah, that that's true. I do think that. Some people are more forgiving than others, though. Like some people are not forgiving at all. Some people are more forgiving, and I, I, I am of the belief that some people they don't do enough due diligence at first, and if they are also not forgiving, then it's their own fault. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not gonna. For example, if you're just gonna fall in love with some chick and then marry her, but then realize that she has faults, well, then you have to be okay with those faults because you are the one who did not do the right due diligence. You were not lied to. You just didn't do the due diligence, and if you had done those things, you would have found this out. And sometimes, dude, it's like they do their due diligence, but it's very similar to like the FTX thing. Remember where there were like you see, a lot everyone of people... can get scammed. You know, you can get scammed. Yeah. Yeah, where like everyone knows, like blaming the finance YouTubers, and you're like, look, you don't fully know in terms of the investment. It's sometimes similar with marriage, where like everything checks out. You do the due diligence and you pull the trigger, and then something like mortifying happens, and you're just like, well, what the heck? It's like you did the best that you could, but certain things you just don't know. Man, you can definitely get scammed, right? For example, like I could marry a girl, and she turns out to be some closet cocaine addict, and I just said no. It can happen. It's possible. And, you know, there are incentives. Everybody has things they don't want to tell anyone else, including a future partner. And you can get scammed. But what I mean is something like, let's take the average guy, okay? The average guy marries the first girl that shows interest in him. And he is willing to overlook every single flaw simply because he's so starved of being wanted that the first girl that wants him suddenly becomes special and different from other girls and, you know, all the other, you know, qualifications and remarks he puts on her and he mm-hmm. falls in love with this girl. And this girl might have some serious flaws and he's going to overlook that because now he's quote unquote in love. So this girl could be psychotic and he will think, Hey, that's just cute. <laughs> and it's only once the emotions are starting to fade away. He realizes that this girl has some serious issues. But by then, you're already married to her. And now you have to make your peace, right? Because this is something you could have avoided if you were just more rational. If you were like a girl and you were more calculating, Mm. you would have known this. But because you're a dumbass, (laughs) now you're married into this and now you have to deal with it forever. I notice guys that do have more options do become somewhat calculating. Where like, in your case where it seems like you're operating with abundance where like you're getting like 70 matches bumble and stuff where like you're in some ways like like the top or like you could even say an outlier because you're that high in the top 
where some guys like you know <laughs> like they're operating from scarcity because uh, like let's say they're not like that physically appealing they're not really in social environments they don't get matches on dates so they have less options to like evaluate from so one option like that's technically mediocre if you have a large data set suddenly starts looking great and they're starting to undermine like the red flags and just like looking for any reason to be like this is the one yeah it's like yeah when you're hungry everything tastes good that type of stuff happening to these guys yeah but i definitely think that before you start thinking that there's only one girl out there who can love you you should definitely try chances with other girls and if you can't then you know for a fact that you're you're doing the whole thing where this is tasting really good because you're so hungry mm-hmm. and your problem will be you will be more rational after you say you lose some fat look better and get more opportunity and then you will have some more comparison because otherwise you just don't know right like do you remember your first relationship because i remember mine and i did not have much to compare it to so i used to think okay this girl is different from other girls because you know that's the first time you're seeing a girl who's actually in love with you but after you've had a few girls say i love you to you you start noticing that wait a minute they're not that different like they're different but not that different and mm-hmm. there are certain differences that make that that can make a lot of difference for you for example this one girl might say she loves you but this other girl loves you and her, she shows her love by cooking stuff for you so she might make you you know some food every time you see her and that that adds a lot of value to your life right like if a girl can cook for you that's it's really really good oh yeah yeah and sometimes it's like the reverse it's like you have like a really good situation for you but then you're just like man i wonder if like the grass is a little greener and then like you try it out and it's like the grass is greener in certain aspects but let's say what you're looking for like what you had before was perfect for you so i i've seen the reverse also exist as well i think you need to date as a guy you should date a bit to find mm. out what you actually want yeah and to discover what you like and what doesn't work for you and i can give you examples of this okay mm-hmm. so i dated this one girl who who was obsessed with eating out so she wanted to go and eat out regularly and this is a girl like she wasn't she was doing it because she wanted me to pay for it this was a girl who would pay for me simply because i i just did not have that much money back then Mm-hmm. and i didn't want to you know waste money on food and she was older than me so she would spend it and she was fond of eating out and she would pay for the meals but i was getting fatter because i was going out with her and i did not want to eat out anymore i'm like wait a minute can't we do something different let's go out and play some badminton and not mm-hmm. eat but yeah. she really liked to go to restaurants and that's a deal breaker right you know for me i i can't stay healthy and be around you <laughs> see that's a deal breaker that you have the luxury of getting though like you get no. like you you give a, a average baba <laughs> that's like a 6 out of 10 they'll be like oh no i'll i'll eat whatever but it's like that's what i'm trying to say like you're like a the upper echelon thing where like it's not normal for guys to be picky 
like you know what i'm saying like so i kind of could empathize with them i don't condone that but it's like i think me and you are like like we're like six foot which automatically just puts us in like a different selection category hey good jeans it's not my foot yeah dude man one time i matched with this influencer right and she has like like you're like a popping account and like i'm like you know getting up there but like she has more followers than you and me combined and it's like it's like you know i'm not gonna say her name obviously but i was just like we're like over here talking and she seems really cool and then i was like wait a minute she looks really familiar um and it was like one of those conversations where i was having like more for practice because you know like just to see where the convo went but she is like when you're an influencer hypothetically and you have like millions and millions of followers like some may think oh that opens up your like pool but for her like she actually like it restricted her pool a lot like she, her idea of a guy was like super like laser thin she's like he has to be six foot tall he has to be making this much money he has to be like his jaw structure needs to look like this I'm just like, well, dang, man, like, <laughs> you know, so we're because like, she's just like, yeah, yeah, like you're the first guy I ever matched with on this app. I was like, when did you get this app? It's like, it's been a year. I was like, dang, like the first guy's like, I'm very, very picky with swiping right. And I was like, man, like, this is a girl like she's going to have to like. She's going to be some... single for a while. Yeah, well, she's 33. So it's like, uh, ooh, I, I was just like, I, I, like you, you know how like the guys like normally swipe right? So it's just like, I, I ended up swiping right. And I didn't know like who this was until like, <laughs> I was like, oh shit, like she's like famous, famous. Um, But I was just like, man, I can't date someone like that either. Uh, um, Because obviously I want kids and stuff. Like that's one thing. Um, But another thing is like, um, it's just a lifestyle, you know, like for me, I noticed I gravitate the best towards like very introverted girls. I, I don't know why, but like, like it just like, there's like some sort of polarity there. Like when you're like super extroverted and like all of that, like, I don't know if that'll really work for me because in some ways I'm at times like that. So I think like introverted will work better for me. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's just so complex nowadays, bro. It's like, you have so much like of these, data streams that are coming at you and you really got to get in terms of prioritizing right there's not going to be someone that meets every part of your checklist unless you have like three like deal breakers and like it's like you have to be like very refined in what you want i agree with you there as a side note i don't think it's a very wise idea to date influencers in the sense that I once went out with a girl who has now become a popular singer, but she was on the way to popularity when I went out with her. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. So if this thing doesn't work out, she's going to defame me for the rest of her life in her music. <laughs> <laughs> they made a Boy Meets World episode out of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you know, like how Eminem defames her mother, his mother. Yeah. Like, like, wait a minute. If this doesn't work out, I'm going to be in her songs and it's not going to be in a positive light. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me just back out right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you want, uh, I mean, like everyone's different. Like, or some guys like, well, you know, they, they may like that, but yeah, I'm, I'm like very similar to them. Like, let me, let me get out of the spotlight a little bit. You don't want your yeah. business out there. 
you don't want your business out there but you definitely don't want to deal with influencers man because they have so much like like if you take someone who's who has like a million followers on instagram and let's say you don't even have instagram and then she starts defaming you what are you going to do like even if you're right no one's listening to you because you don't have an audience so this is like competing with a tabloid it it doesn't make sense right like it don't don't start you know don't get into things with people who buy ink by the bulk there's some there's some quote like that right don't start fights with people who are buying ink by the bulk ink by the kilo or more ink than you'll going that in a day than you'll use in your entire life so these guys they have so much reach and they can like cause a lot of damage to you just for some stupid reach so even though you've done nothing wrong but they just need to say something because they're a dumbass influencer on tiktok they need to create some sensation they might just say something and it's not it's not a good thing for you for example you see some random chicks on tiktok recording men in the gym just like looking around and you know this guy's a creep he's looking at me i'm like no chick he was he was just running his face around he wanted some views so you so you put him out there humiliated him for no goddamn reason right <laughs> so my advice to all men out there is avoid dating influencers because you know these influencers they have very perverse incentives to create sensational content and they don't have that much going on in their lives which means you are going to be subject of their content at some day or the other and it's not going to be good harsh do this tiktok dance with me oh man <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we must break up sister <laughs> <laughs> yeah so do any of the girls that like you date know about life math money or you try to keep that separate only one mm only one and that was kind of an accident but she was pretty okay with it she didn't agree with most of it did she but... call you out no 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 she was I mean I mean I'm pretty vocal about my opinions right I'm not like I don't pretend to be this feminist modern guy right I'm So she pretty much knew most of my content because she knew me and she was pretty okay with it but of course I had the luxury that she was already in sort of she already really liked me so maybe she was biased but i do know like some i have a business partner who is who knows me and knows i'm a lmm and she's a girl and she she pretty much agrees with everything i say mm so i would say there's like 20% of girls who would definitely not like me if they knew i ran a lmm and like they they disagree with the views they're like more feminist and it's fine you know like you have the right to disagree with people and that's that's completely okay but I would say at least most girls in India they on some level either agree with it or they don't have an objection to it or they are they're like okay this makes sense this is re- this is reality this is true in real life even though it might not sound good it might sound you know not modern or not politically correct it's true and mm. I think India being a relatively poor country to western countries does that because people are used to hardships they're used to seeing these things happen in real life and they get it yeah sometimes it's just good to have that boundary like when you don't have that boundary and like everyone knows like like knows about what you do and stuff like that they're like hey you should talk about this talk about that and it's like 
you don't have to worry about that too much because you're kind of like, well, you're anonymous and it's uh, like a few people, I guess, do know. Uh, but like there are certain people that like, let's say they're building a following. Uh, their personal life often tries to like mesh into that as well. So um, I've noticed that it's very good to keep that boundary. And if you can keep that boundary, now you guys can, uh, you guys can do your own thing. Yeah, I think I have a different issue with this, though. I know a bunch of celebrities in real life, and mm -hmm. I don't envy their life because these guys have to walk around with bodyguards. And I sometimes when I'm out, say, getting lunch or dinner with one of these people, like random people will come up to this chick and ask for pictures. And that is really annoying. Like, like I remember one time I was out with this girl and she would she would she wore a hoodie and, you know, uh, you know, what, what's that thing? A sunglass at night. And I'm like, what's wrong? Why are you wearing a sunglasses? It's already night. And she's like, you'll see why I'm wearing sunglasses. So turns out that at the restaurant, at least three people came up, three randomly, you know, teenage women and teenage girls. And they're like, can you take a picture with us? Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait a minute. This is a shit ass life. Like, this is fucked up. Oh, yeah, man. No, no, definitely. When you're when you have mainstream success, or mainstream in relationship to a certain country, it could get really annoying. It, it's really annoying. And I'm not even joking. So this this girl, she was she was very cautious. So uh, when when you know when I I was driving, okay, and she would like walk and you know, and when she was entering the street, she would look around and you know try to make sure no one was gonna kill her or something. And I just, I don't think I would date that person. I just went out with her once. I couldn't date her because it's just not possible, right? Like, I don't want my pictures taken. Because since she's popular, some idiot is going to take a picture of me with her and then I'm going to get into this mess. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, there's ripple effects, definitely. Where, where there was this one time where... um when Trump was running for elections, like he was calling out one of these journalists a lot. She started to get death threats. And then like the haters were like now going to her husband's like firm and just leaving one star reviews. So oh, it's like, man. Yeah. So when you are like, let's say dating a celebrity, it, it comes with a lot of like side baggage as well. Yeah, it's not worth it, man. I, I, my, as an influencer, my recommendation is to not date influencers. So, you know, I it's an honest recommendation. Phrase, so, like, I, I hate it too. I know, I, I know. Hate. Man, I wanted this networking event one time, and it got so annoying because, like, there was this one guy that like introduced me as like, oh, you know, Armani has, and that time I, think I had like two thousand <laughs> subscribers, two thousand subscribers, which isn't anything, right? Uh, which isn't anything. Um, it's like I have two. He's like, you King know, Armani. Twitter. Yeah, you know, Armani has two thousand subscribers on YouTube, and it, he like told it to the guy who was like checking us into the networking event. And then guy's eyes just like widen. He's like, so you're one of those influencers, huh? I was like, no, 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 don't call me that. Um, so we're going into uh, the event. And this guy who initially asked me like, oh, you're an influencer, huh? He keeps finding me as I'm having these different conversations with different people. And they're, he's like, watch out for this guy. He's famous. And I just couldn't stand it, bro. I'm like, why is this annoying me so much? Later on, like when I like drove back, I was trying to figure out like why that phrase influencer annoyed me so much, but I couldn't quite articulate it. A couple of days or weeks goes on by. I release a class on Skillshare and there's a 
guy that watches the class and he sends me an email and he's like, man, Armani, I watched the class and it's like brilliant. You're really a scientist with this. And when he called me a scientist, like I felt like, yeah, yeah, yeah man, like, you know, call me that instead. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, why did I like the phrase scientist more than influencer? And that's because science is like what you're doing. The influencing is the byproduct. It's like, let's say, Harsh, you are like fat, ugly, you smell like shit. And one day, like your brother like tells you like, hey, Harsh, you're fat, ugly, and you smell like shit. So you begin to work out, right? And you begin to smell better. You begin to read books. As time goes on by, you become somewhat attractive to the opposite sex. Now, if someone asks you, like, what are you? And you're like, well, I'm an attractor. Like, it's going to be like, what? Like, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm an attractor. Fine, that's a nice way of putting it. Because that's a byproduct. What you really are is you're someone that's invested in self-improvement. And when you frame it like, like that, it, it just hits the heart better. So when someone says like, oh, you're like a scientist with that, I liked it because it's like, yeah, I'm trying to like break these uh, complex communication skills issues down to like the nitty gritty fundamentals. That's what I like. And if I influence, that's just a byproduct. But don't call me an influencer. Yeah, man, influencer is like a bad... I consider it to slightly make it somewhat similar to a prostitute in my mind. Like it's not mm. a respectable thing in my head. And when I see, when I use the word influencer, I don't mean people like us, right? You and me, I would not call influencers. I, I would say someone who's dancing on TikTok, that is an influencer in my mind. Like that's the proper use of the term. Someone mm -hmm. whose entire thing is just to get more followers and then sell stuff to the followers. You know, like someone like Kim Kardashian. I mean, I'm not calling her a prostitute, of course. But what I mean to say is her job is actually just getting influence. You know, just becoming a promoter. So the more people know her, the more she can promote stuff. And that's her thing. So she's an influencer. Mm -hmm. People like us are closer to someone like writers or philosophers but not exactly but somewhere somewhere in between writers and a philosopher yeah like problem solvers like th those are stuff that i like more you know so you know you, you nailed it though it, it's like um kardashians and um the demilio family the paul brothers like you could say that they're influencers but um i just believe it's a byproduct it's like what gave you the right to influence? Like you got to have some sort of thinking processes to even like call yourself someone that can influence someone. So, I mean, it really just comes back to like, I'm an attractor. It's like, what? Something just doesn't sound right about that. Yeah. I mean, if there was a PUA, right? Like if someone was a pickup artist and he's trying to sleep with as many women as possible, that guy would be an attractor. Like, you know, what do I do? I attract women. That's my thing. Yeah. Man, the but, PUA community, like, that's, like, it started with that one show, The Pickup Artist. Did you ever watch that show? Man, I don't watch any of that stuff. Yeah, well, that was, like, what, it, it, like, it just gave a bunch of these guys, like, wait a minute, there's a there's an art to this? And the guy that, uh, like, was the host of the show was called Mystery. I have his book. I haven't read it. The yeah, Mystery, Mystery Method. And I think there was an Indian guy there, too, named Matador. So when you're like seeing these guys, like, wait a minute, like, and this was on mass TV. It was on VH1, I believe. So like the nation was like being exposed to this and they started to get a lot of controversy. 
because that's where you initially heard like the phrase called like peacocking um negs like there's certain language in regards to that and then like you know a lot of guys tried it out They're like all right guys we're going to the mall and we're going to do what mystery told us to do <laughs> and that, that's how it initially started and um do you know any P puas i know a pua yes mm -hmm. from the us not I, I don't know any puas in india i know I a couple of puas in the us but i know one really successful one the rest are just posing as the uas Mm -hmm. I don't think those guys get laid as much. Yeah. I know a but few But this really successful guy yeah. is just like... Sorry, go on. No, go ahead, go ahead. This, the guy who's really successful as a PUA, he kind of deserves to be successful as a PUA because that guy has designed his entire lifestyle around getting laid. So he lives in a mansion. He has a Lamborghini. He has abs. And again, he's very shredded. And this is what he does. So he sells some courses around getting laid on Tinder and all these, you know, apps mm. and, you know, how to text women and things like this. That's what, that's how he makes his money. And this guy essentially spends most of his day dating women or sleeping with women or, you know, texting women, etc. So that's his thing. His entire lifestyle is based around fucking women. Mm. Like I have a mansion, like this guy has a mansion because, you know, girls are attracted to mansions. He has abs because girls like that. He has Lamborghini to show he's rich and he makes his money teaching others how to get laid. And that's what he does all day. He gets laid all day. What are your thoughts about this? I mean, it's an honest income. I don't, I don't have any negative comments to make for him. Oh, okay. No, because no, the way that you were phrasing it, I thought you were going to be like, but that can never be me or it was just like you're just basically outlining his lifestyle yeah i mean this guy is doing what he wants to do in his life he's happy with it mm. uh, i don't have an issue with it yeah, i man, do think that at some point he's gonna run out of girls in his local area and have have to like change his residence because mm. if he's sleeping with like one girl a day you know how many girls can you find on these apps yeah man i mean if you optimize your life for that like you can really like it eventually becomes a numbers game in some ways too like i knew this one guy that literally looked like harry potter but like a skinny dweeby version of him and he used to pull but this guy's um whole philosophy was like i'm just gonna flirt with anything with a pulse and eventually <laughs> eventually like he's getting like he's getting some numbers like not 100 percent of people are going to reject you eventually there's going to be some um yeses in the flurry of no's so he he like pretty much optimized his life for that and he was over here just like pulling um so i don't know if he if he's still doing that but i recall like the last time i spoke to him he just was like like he felt as though he wanted like something a little bit more but um maybe that was the phase of his life that he was going through each person is different so the, the, you got to see like what they're optimizing their life for That's fair enough. I think that I think most guys when they do the PUA stuff, they get over it eventually. In my case, I wasted like almost a year just dating women. But then after a while, I was like, wait a minute, I'm just done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. This is a waste of time. And I can continue to do to, to do this, keep getting better with women, but 
this is like the the returns are extremely diminishing from this point i've improved my personality enough that i can talk to any girl i want whenever i want and you know i don't really need to constantly keep doing this and i should just focus on my work get richer you know now is the time to make money start the business and everything not go on dates every 3 days of the week so i think most guys are like me in that sense where after you date a little bit around you you just get done with it yeah it is one thing i will give it credit for it's like if you do that if you do have that like one section of your life where you did do cold approaching and stuff bro it could boost your confidence and just social skills in general by a lot like if you do it correctly if you're not just being like weird about it and just like i'll just say whatever and like hopefully one person says yes you're like trying to be present and be dynamic it can like really build some good body language like good eye contact and it's just a little micro skill like breaking the ice um but yeah you do not want to just like from my perspective you don't want to like rotate your entire life like going to the malls and like breaking ice with strangers like you could do that for a certain chapter but your entire life like come on man yeah man it's not it's just overkill when, so when the pickup artist show came like i had like two good friends like asif and pratik they're like guys we're going to the mall so we end up going to the mall and like asif's like this big fat bengali kid and pratik's this like dorky indian kid and pratik is just like you know like he has like a lot of charisma for some reason i'm like i don't know where you got all that charisma from but he has all these girls giggling and stuff and he's just like okay so i talk to girls now you have to do it asif and asif is like this big guy with like no confidence and he eventually talked to girls and then they're like okay arman it's your turn and i was like man i'm like really nervous like this is like really early on in my life i was like man i don't know what i'm going to do i don't know how i'm going to say something and they're like come on arman like you could do it So eventually I go up to this girl and I'm about to say something and she's just like get the fuck out of my face and she just walks away and Asif and Pratik saw that it is like right like the, literally the worst thing that could have happened like happened and after that happened bro they're like oh, all right Arman like uh, let's go home you know like they they felt bad for me and I was like no let's do this more uh, and they're just like wait what it's because i got the worst part out of the way and it wasn't like that bad like when someone says like get the fuck out of my face something like that it's just like wait what and then you're like oh okay and now you could go to the next um to the next person and then like i started to talk to a few other girls and like like the third one was like giggling and stuff so it's like if you do it the correct way man like it could build your confidence to a certain degree I agree with you 100%. I it's think going to malls is inefficient though. Yeah, yeah, but but you got to remember like the context. Like this was like 2000 like 7, like or 2006. Uh-huh. Like we, we didn't have like Bumble. Yeah, we didn't have Bumble or anything. It is very similar to like choking a speech for the first time where a lot of people will never like even think about giving up a speech because they're like, well, I'm going to like what if I choke? And it's like if you do choke hypothetically like it, it could actually be one of the best moments of your life or like when i choked my first speech i'm just like man like you know like it's so embarrassing like no one's going to forget no one's going to uh, like ever forget something like this three days passes on by everyone forgot and i'm just like you know i'm like i got the worst part out of the way 
So a lot of the times, man, when you're learning something new, like the thing that's like scaring you the most, if that actually does happen to you, now you're like, okay, well, I got the worst part out of the way. And now let me just, you know, keep inching closer towards the goal. Man, this whole thing is such an important topic where people have to realize that no one remembers that. So three days later, everyone forgot, right? Yeah. A lot of people don't do things because they're so self-conscious where they think this is going to be, you know, this is going to be their thing in life. You know, they fail at this thing. This is their thing. But really, no one gives a shit. If you have an embarrassing moment, people are going to forget about it in like six hours. No one cares about you enough to remember everything you do or everything you say. And if you like something or want to do something, you should just do it. And if you fail, you fail. You might get laughed at for an hour, but then it's done. Then it's done. Like your biggest problem to someone else's nervous system is not worth more than their smallest problem. So if I say hypothetically, like, hey, Harsh, I'm go- like the police are after me. Like I-, I accidentally killed someone, blah, 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 blah. I'm about to go to prison. Someone will hear it. They're like, oh, my God, that's a really big problem for Armani. And then they're going to go back to thinking about like the parking ticket that they have to do within 72 hours, even less. So it's like when you put it into perspective like that, it's like, bro, I got to be more fearless with my life. Definitely. Although I have one caveat for this, okay? Mm-hmm. You you want to be more fearless, but you want to avoid shitting where you eat in the sense that, let's say, let, let's continue the previous example, okay? Let's say that you're asking girls out. You want to be brave and you want to ask a girl out if you like her. Because even if she says no, it's going to be embarrassing for like five minutes and then it's going to be done. But you want to do this stuff in places where this is not going to turn, on, turn into some kind of reputation for you. For mm-hmm. example, if you are asking girls out in your workplace, and like five girls say no to you, then you're screwed, right? Then you're known as oh, a yeah. weird guy who's asking all these girls out. Mm-hmm. And now you know, you're, you're like a creep. So you want to do these <laughs> things at places where there is no social cost to it. You know, these these people you, you don't see again, and they're not going to remember you, and you don't have to like go and meet them every day. So that's one caveat, you know, just make sure that you're being brave and, you know, doing bold things in places where the social cost is low to none. If you're asking girls out where you work, you might have issues at your employ- with your employer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's a good caveat. Have you ever had a PUA phrase, Arman? I mean, I would say that was a close thing. Like after we saw like the pickup artist, because um, the thing is like, I believe I was in high school then and like, we basically were just looking for things to do. So it's like, we were already going to the malls. So it's like, if you're going to go to the malls, like uh, l- let's try out some of the stuff that like mystery taught us. And it's like, we did that. Um, so I would say that was close to a POA s- stage. And it was good, man, because, you know, I-, I grew up in a very strict household. So I didn't really go to that many parties in, um uh, up until I went to college. So in high school, it just kind of gave me some, lubricant in terms of social interactions and i understood what it's like to talk to a girl right what is it like to grow up in an islamic household well it's it's not like 
it wasn't like super like strict like that. Like I could still go out with my uh, friends and stuff, but like I couldn't like do sleepovers and stuff, which wasn't like that big of a deal. I didn't go to parties um, or anything like that. So I'm pretty sure it's like a lot of the other kids out there, but it was just like, I didn't go to parties. So that was about uh, it. Same here, man. Same stuff. I couldn't do sleepovers and I couldn't do parties. I'm not Islamic, of course, but yeah, I think all traditional cultures try to avoid these things and avoid the kids from doing these things. Yeah. So when I went to college, I was just like, oh, dang, I'm like living in a dorm. Like I get to like, you know, I could technically stay out till three in the morning and like no one's going to be like, hey, come back. So it's very easy, like for people that grew up in strict households, it's very easy for them to ruin their first year or two in college. And it's very difficult to turn that around. Uh, luckily for me, like I just knew a few people that like messed up in college and they used to just like, pound in my head like, hey, uh, d- d- don't like like ruin your first year. That's one of the most important years. And it's like I'm not really like that much of a party guy anyways. Uh, so it's like I was just like, OK, but I have seen a lot of people ruin their lives like in, in the first to two years just because they like literally party every day of the week. Man, I can I can see it. You know, I can see it happen to people. In fact, I knew a couple of girls back in the day who were from these really strict households. And when they had the chance, you know, like let's say they moved cities, now they had freedom, right? And because they, you know, they had been repressed for so goddamn long, they had no self-control whatsoever and they just kind of blew up. So they had, you know, they started to drink, they started to like go out with random guys and it was... Like this girl would had no opportunity to do any cool stuff or anything. She was just she didn't have any fun or any controlled fun in her entire life, and now she has like unrestricted ability to do whatever she wants, mm-hmm. and she lacks the self control to be wise. So now she's doing this, and you know it it becomes addicting really fast, especially partying because it gives you so much dopamine. Yeah, and yeah, man. A lot of these people ruin their lives over it, especially people who've come up with some kind of you know extremely conservative or repressive place. Not in the sense that this is common; it's not like it doesn't happen to nine out of ten people. But there are some people who can't handle random independence that they get, and they kind of end up abusing it too much. Absolutely, man. It's like college is like a peek into like you're saying you could lead yourself well let's see it because like at least american college like there's no like hey you have to be back to your dorm by like this time you could literally show up at 6 a.m if you want to like there is no one that's stopping you from anything and for a lot of the lectures it's optional like do you want to go okay go uh, but ultimately you're responsible for your test scores so it's like if you can lead yourself and you think you can like start off with college and if you can't even make that work then you're not as uh, responsible as you think you are arman hmm? if you were given the choice again would you still go to college um do i know now or do i know what i know now or am i just yeah. like a straight up no 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 like for me like probably not just because like do we still have the technology and everything yes um so my thing is 
it's hard for me to answer that. I mean, I would say no, right? Um, and someone will be like shocked. They'll be like, wait a minute, like you you were a STEM student, like science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Those are the ones you have to go to college for. And I would actually argue like you don't need to go to college for that. Uh, you, if you do an internship or if you just do an apprenticeship slash certification, you will learn more in that certification than like four years of just studying capacitors and diodes. So that's like this one belief that people just have. They're like, oh, if it's STEM, you have to go to college, where that's not accurate at all in terms of practical experience. Now, this once again comes back to lifestyle choices. It's like if someone is entrepreneurial, then yeah, like go ahead, go to, uh, excuse me, don't go to college and just learn as much about technology and communication skills as you possibly can and build an empire around yourself. But if you're someone that's not an entrepreneurial, like let's say you want to like have a have like a you know somewhat safe life uh, and such, nothing wrong with that at all. But go to college and understand like the stability of it. It's just like my personality type. I'm just a little bit more entrepreneurial than uh, not entrepreneurial. So for me, I wouldn't go to college. But this is not advice. Like know yourself for like you like take it as advice. You would would you go to college? Well, you didn't go to college, did you? I what didn't go to college, so I don't really uh, have an answer. But not going to college has worked out really, really well for me. So I would recommend not going to college. But it it really does depend again, like on what this guy is trying to do. Like, is he trying to boss up? Because if you're trying to boss up, then like, no, you don't need college. Actually, you have to unlearn a lot of stuff from college. But if you're like, let's say, you want to get married young, you want to have kids, you want like vacation and stuff like that at an early age then so if you want some I, kind I of employment then you're like, you're listening to the wrong person right like my advice is not going to be good for you because and maybe not even yours but at least in my case right mm-hmm. if you want like some kind of stable job and kind of keep working it for the rest of your life yeah you've come to the devil <laughs> <laughs> i just pictured you with like the horns um, <laughs> um yeah, man. So, I mean, like, college really depends because, like, some guys are still paying off their, like, college loans and stuff like that. Um, like, my first internship, I learned more in that internship than three to four years in college. I was working in, like, this aerospace rocket ship company, and it was so freaking immersive. And that's where I met a bunch of the engineers. I'm like, which college did you graduate from? It's like, I didn't graduate from college. I, I moved here from overseas. I took a certification and I apprenticed. Uh, I did an apprenticeship and that's how I learned. I'm self-taught. And some of these were the brightest engineers in the field. Uh, so in many ways, man, like college can improve so much. And one of my uh, like ways to do that is right now, I could only speak of College of Engineering. I'm pretty sure it's like this with other fields too. You get like 85% theory and the experience is like the icing on the cake. Like, And the icing on the cake phrase means that like, it's good to have it, but you don't need it. It's not the real cake. Like the school system really rewards theory where my philosophy is flip it. Make the cake the experience. Let these people like start off, like play with these capacitors, try out, fail, succeed, and stuff. Then 15% later on, you start to like teach them the theory. Lead with experience, fill in the gaps with theory. That's where school messes up. They like pound the theory into your brain. You don't know what the what context this theory is for. They quiz you on it. They test you on it. 
they evaluate your feature on it. And it's like, bro, like a theory without experience is just nothing. It's like you're telling me you're hungry and I just show you like letters of an orange. It's like give them the real thing first. That's what I'm paying college for in the first place. I agree with you, but I see the college's perspective also where when you are teaching five students, then you can do these things. But when you're teaching 200 students, then you can't, right? So yeah, but... take, for example, some kind of, like, let's take the degree you did engineering. You have, how many professors did you have for, you know, how many students? Well, it depends. Like a lot of the classes were like bullshit classes, like racism in America, American history oh, and stuff. Like I'm like, those were the classes with a lot of students. And I'm like, really, this doesn't, this is something I'm being forced to take. It's like an elective. Um, so it's like those classes like shouldn't even be a thing if I'm trying to go to College of Engineering. Now for those specialized classes like uh, circuits, electrical systems, uh, electromechanics, those classes are more niched. So there's like 15 students. And if we're going to make students pay 300 to $500 for textbooks, we could just replace that, those textbooks with simple PowerPoints that the professor makes that you distribute on their email and you spend those 300 to $500 buying a lab kit. So it's definitely possible. It's just like these guys, like they're not optimizing for it. Hmm. I We're think that's a gap in the market. There's a gap in the market, and this can be fixed by some entrepreneur out there who can make his own course. In fact, I've seen a lot of edtech startups show up. And yeah, sorry, I'm so sorry, I cut you off. Mm -hmm. I need to stop. I need to stop doing that. There's an issue with this whole podcasting thing where the communication is not instant. So when Arman stops speaking for a second, it stops for like two seconds on my side, and I just speak. But go on. What were you saying? Well, uh, like if an entrepreneur is smart, like there's literally a gap that I see where like there's certain like, let's say electricians, like they don't have the money to um, uh, to actually like hire someone full on staff. Like they would prefer like at best it be a free position. And this is where like a student can do apprenticeship where like the, you know, if the electrician is smart, they'll pay you like like a minimum wage if possible. But, so the electrician is saving a ton of money, uh, giving minimum wage rather than hiring a full-time employee. And the student is going to learn so much fixing actual stuff. Where when I was working as the electrical engineer, a lot of these guys, man, they were just electricians that, that fixed actual stuff in the real world. And they knew so much once they were hired by a company. So that, it's like if you could create an app that pairs like hungry students with apprentice uh, like uh, companies like sh short companies that are trying to uh, get help and you pair them up then you, you got a match made in heaven it's very similar to like the angel investing app where you're connecting investors with uh, entrepreneurs but here it's um, small business owners with uh, ambitious students hmm, so like internships yeah internships can get a little annoying because like you gotta like you gotta like do a lot of these like resume and stuff like that. And like, there's a gap where you could be like super qualified, but your resume doesn't show it. But like, you're just a good problem solver. So like this app can like really bypass the formalities of the resume. A lot of people bullshit on resumes too. So 
Have you ever lied on your resume? I never lied on a resume, but it's just like some of the stuff that I like. I I don't even remember what my resume looks like. I gotta look at it. No, but I didn't lie. Like I, everything was honest on that. I see. I know people who lie on their resumes, and it works really well because no one verifies it. So yeah. You could say things like, "I have a diploma in something," and no one's gonna really care. You could just make up a PDF document yourself. Mm-hmm. There's a guy here that fixes ACs, and if you're someone hypothetically that wants to like fix ACs for a living in Florida, surprisingly, that's a career. Like you can make a decent amount of money because like people's ACs are always breaking. But to get a training like that, it's it's a lot of work. Like you got to pass a lot of tests and stuff. So it's like this guy is always complaining that his workers are lazy, uh, like, and he's overpaying them and such. And I know like kids in like my fraternity, uh, like that want to at least understand like how to fix this stuff, because to fix an AC, like to understand how to fix that harsh, it's very similar to like fixing any hardware systems. So these fraternity guys like really want to learn. So I'm like, man, like if there was an app that could just pair you two up. You guys would both be winning. That's a synergistic relationship. That's a really, really good idea, Arman. I should make that up. You should. Yeah. It's like did, Tinder did, for businesses. Did you ever make an app? Nothing commercial. Mm-hmm. Like nothing to sell. Like I've made apps for my own use. For example, like you know, do some automated tasks that I'm doing, or some you know some business automation. And I've made like small apps for things like, you know, I'm writing a diary. So why don't you take what I've written and then save it on some Google Drive? So I made things like that, some automations, but not exactly like an Android app. Mm. But this is a good idea that you've given. Yeah. Armand, yeah. speaking of good ideas, I need to get going. So it's we should do our Q&A. Yes, let's do that real quick. Up before we start the episodes, my bad. Um, so the following question um, was from MK Board. Uh, Arman, you are a fantastic host. Question to you, and I he agree. asked, "Thank you, man. I appreciate it." I noticed last time you were giving me the compliment. Um, I- I'm very bad at taking compliments. That's one thing that I've noticed. And whenever someone gives me a compliment, I know I'm like really quick to just be like, oh, well, let's put the spotlight back on you. So I just wanted to say like, thanks for the compliment. Uh, It's something that I'm working on. Uh, So there's two questions. Um, What are your and American general views on Indian marriages? So the first thing, uh, I'll answer that question. Then the second one, America has a very polarized view of weddings in India there's a certain group that like th- when they think Indian weddings, they think arranged marriages and th- like that group is like, uh, I don't really know if I feel good about arranged marriages where another group is like, whoa, that idea is genius because some will say that marriage is one of the most important decisions of your life. So it's like, um, it's, it's one of those things where like when you have an arranged marriage, there's other players that are being involved. And one thing Harsh mentioned before was that, you know, you should factor in like the family as well, not just yourself and your partner, the family, like ambitions, goals, networks and such. And when you have arranged marriages, like it seems as though there's a more holistic view of it. So 
it's a it's a polarized view. Uh, but as of late, many Americans are warming up to arranged marriages versus few years back. Any thoughts on that, Hirsch? I have some thoughts, but I'm not sure how well they would apply to an American context, right? Right. Well, arranged marriages only work in cultures that are designed around arranged marriages, where you have men and women who are somewhat overseen by their family. So, you know, you can make, you can be reasonably sure that you can trust them. In the West, people are so independent that you can't really trust anybody unless you happen to know them well. For example, if you take the average American girl who has gone to college, she could have slept with 100 people, 200 people even. That's not hard to do. If you're sleeping with two guys a week, that's like 100 men in a year, four years, so 400 men. Harsh random numbers. <laughs> yeah, simple numbers, right? And yeah. I know girls who racked over 100 guys. It's not that difficult, especially in America especially in countries where there is no stigma attached to this. So now let's say you get an arranged marriage and you don't really know the girl so well. Is a girl going to tell you she slept with 400 men unless you know her well? She is not. So you can't trust people in countries where people are very independent and it's just a fact of life. And you can't really have arranged marriages in a culture like this because your culture does not support arranged marriages. It is just how it is. Yours is a different type of society. And in your society, arranged marriages just don't work because people are just so different. And they as they have a tendency to do very outlier stuff. For example, if you get arranged marriage in India, you can have a reasonably good estimation of what your marriage is going to look like, what the girl is expected to do, what you are expected to do. But in your country, it is not like so. It, you, you cannot, in, in America, you cannot assume that this girl is going to cook for you. You can't assume that because that's not the culture there. So in general, the culture there is not something that is compatible with arranged marriage. Neither for guys, neither for girls. And it is... It simply will not work. Good point. Uh, well, that's actually a really good point where in India, I mean, there is like that general like operating system of a culture that's there. Where here, especially within the last four to five years, it's so freaking diverse, Harsh. Where like you'll see a Russian, a Bengali, Nigerian, like just walking down the road for like two to three minutes. So it's like you need to like if you're trying to do some sort of arranged marriage here, like, I mean, I don't know if it's a thing. Well, actually, it is a thing. I I do know it's a thing, but I don't know, like the success rate or anything like that. I know it's a thing for Jewish people because I I have a business partner who is Jewish who lives in New York. And that particular person is getting an arranged marriage from some Jew to, to some Jewish girl. Mm-hmm. And I know Jewish people do it. I don't know about others. Christians don't do it. That they don't really have people who follow Christianity anymore. Like unless you count, say, going to the church as Christianity. But yeah, those people they're not connected to their parents. So it's like getting an arranged marriage to someone you don't really know 
I, I wouldn't get an arranged marriage with a Western girl. Like I need to really know a Western girl to marry her. There is an arranged marriage concept in the West. It just came to my mind. It's harsh with truckers, right? Truckers that are always on the road, they get a matchmaker to get them a wife from overseas, uh, most likely Philippines or Colombia. So it's a synergistic relationship because these truckers are always on the road. They don't have time to meet women. And these women are trying to get an American citizenship. So like once you get matched up, you're supposed to get married for at least a couple of years to, you know, solidify it. Uh, but apparently that's a service that exists. Ah, a mail order bride. <laughs> huh? A mail order bride. Oh, okay. That is, yeah, yeah. Is that the same thing? Like, is that how a mail order bride system works? No, I thought this was called a mail order bride. I probably, probably. Probably that's like the name for it. One trend I've noticed here, Harsh, is that every now and then I see like an Egyptian guy um, dating like a really fat white girl. I'm like, very peculiar um, <laughs> dynamic, right? I've seen this at least three to five times, right? <laughs> and what happens is like, uh, like the Egyptian guys like look like pretty like like normal, you know? So I'm like, hmm, oh, okay. I've seen this pattern a few times. What a lot of these Egyptian guys do is they'll find the the girl like who's not really sought after, like gaslight her, like make her like uh, the centerpiece of his world. Uh, they'll get married. He'll get his citizenship. Then they divorce. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh man! <laughs> I see this like at least four to five times. <laughs> That's some genius shit right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question is. What are the custom and rituals at American weddings? Also, what is baptism? So for baptism, I don't exactly know what it is. I, I think it's more so like a, a Christian thing where you're like accepting uh, like the religion. But don't quote me on that. I, I don't know much about that. I think and they in dunk of, you in the water or something, right? Yeah, that's what I've seen. But like uh, it symbolizes something. But in terms of customs and rituals at American weddings, I can actually speak on that because for a while I was shadowing this guy that owned a wedding business and he pretty much like emceed at weddings. So he like when I was like, what really is work so MC is the guy that's like the glue for the wedding. He's like, next up, we have uh, like the first best man, like the groomsmen, uh, time for the performances. Like they pretty much keep the show going. Ah, OK, OK. yeah. So he like when I was like doing emceeing in like local events, he's like, you should see what emceeing works like in wedding events you would kill it there i was like all right i mean i'll just shadow you and i went and basically the way that it works bro is that it is broken down like you could predict a lot of american weddings like it th there's the bride there's the groom the bride has their like closest friends the groom has their closest friends then on the wedding day you may have some performances uh there's typically an open bar um the dad walks the uh, the groom uh, like down the or the bride uh, like down the hall so these are a lot of the customs and there is a priest that's typically involved that's like solidifying the, the bond but it's like mainly a one day thing it's not like a week thing like harsh was mentioning for a lot of indian weddings i've heard that in your places like in the, in the west a wedding is even the one-day wedding can be really, really expensive, right? It can be. But what I've noticed recently is a lot of people are having small weddings where something about small weddings are very nice. Where, like, I went to this wedding, like, two years ago. It was, like, in the middle of nowhere. It was, like, this farmland. Uh, and, like, I think 
like 50 people showed up. It was it was short. It was done. Like the important people were there. So like you knew everyone that was at the wedding. <laughs> no wedding crashing going on. So I've seen a lot of individuals like nowadays opting for the tiny weddings. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I, it's I, very, you're... it's very, yeah, it's very similar to concerts, bro. Where like concerts nowadays, when we think of it, we think of like a singer with like five hundred to a thousand people, right? But in Frank Sinatra's times, like it was very intimate. It was like the singer, and then like, like let's say fifteen to twenty people. So you got a chance to actually see the singer, and like it felt very personal. Uh, but due to like the complexity of the music business, the concert started to scale more and more. Uh, but the originals was very small and intimate. So I noticed something like that happening with weddings as well. Because mm. weddings are a business, bro. Like this this wedding plan will show me the business side of it. Like you got to like running a wedding is very similar to like being a football coach. You're like gathering this person, that person like, hey, you, you do this. Hey, you do that. Hey, um, uh, where's the food? Why is it not on time? Uh, like, so it's a very hectic business. Like I would never want to get in a business like that. It's essentially an event management thing, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you know, you know how it is in India. You know, a big difference now that I just noticed it. In India, if you do a small wedding, you will actually get you will actually piss off people. So, if, if for example, if my family does a small wedding for me, only fifty people are invited, people are gonna call up my mom and dad and be like, "Mines, like, what did we do that you did not call us to your son's wedding?" Oh, you're actually going to piss off a lot of people if you do a small wedding. And some people did small weddings during COVID. So it was a way to save money. So let's get married during COVID. So we don't have to like invite lots of people and we'll save money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now that COVID is gone, if you have a small wedding, you're going to piss off people. Like, I'm, like If you do a small wedding, let's say that some cousin of mine gets married and I'm not invited. I'm going to hold it against them at some level. Like, wait a minute. Why didn't you invite me? Man, I'm going to be like, thank God, bro. Like going to wedding. I hate going to weddings. And it could like really add up in price. Like I'm having my wedding in Canada. I'll see you there, cuz. I'm like, bro, like I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to go to Canada right now. But, but you are right. Even here, like if the weddings are small, a lot of enemies are created. Where that small wedding I was telling you about, a lot of people weren't invited. And every now and then people will be like, hey, uh, what time are you going to get go to the wedding? And the person that's not invited is like, what wedding? It's like, oh, you didn't get invited to this guy's wedding? And now they're like pissed. But it's like um, it's like a risk reward thing. Like you save so much freaking money. Um, he, I would but say, he, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, but here like, you know, a lot of weddings, like you recoup some of it because nowadays for big weddings, what happens is like uh, you're expected to bring gifts. And the bride and the groom are like, uh, cash gifts are appreciated. So they're basically saying, like, give us cash. We don't need a toaster from you. So uh, they're recouping a lot of their heavy wedding costs, which is like one of the setbacks of a big wedding. Huh, that is so different. So in India, they won't accept cash as a gift unless you're a relative. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, they literally put it on the wedding cards, like uh, cash gifts appreciated. And in India, they say, please don't, like, you know, n- no gifts, please. Like, that's no what gifts. they say. On, no, no <laughs> gifts. The reason being is that if they take cash, it kind of, Indian Indian culture is a little different, right? So if you take cash for your wedding, 
it seems like you're poor. That's why you're accepting cash. So mm-hmm. no one accepts cash or any gifts anymore. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would say at least from my life experience that it's better to have a less celebratory wedding with more people than to have a more posh wedding with fewer people because simply because of the fact that you piss off so many people for a long time by not inviting them to your wedding and people will hold it against you. So in the sense, like they, they're going to presume that you don't care enough about them or, you know, maybe they thought they were more important, but they're not important to you. And it's going to show up in your future interactions with them. I think, I don't think it's a good idea to not invite people. Oh, yeah, unless it, if you do a really small wedding where there's only like five people, then they'll get it. But if you invite 50 and not invite them, then it's going to be, it's not the same thing. Yeah, no, I could definitely see a case for that. Like some guys like get really upset. Like, how could I not be invited to your wedding? I know you so well. We haven't talked in three years, but yeah, I know you so well, you know? So um, I do see that, but I do see a case for like small weddings. Um, Definitely, man. Like, would you rather spend $10,000 on a wedding or how much, how much does a wedding cost in your country? Way more. Like uh, some weddings go up to $50,000. Okay. Would you rather spend $50,000 on a wedding or spend $20,000 on a wedding and get $30,000 down payment on your house? the down payment exactly although i'm if we ask this question to women i'm pretty sure women might say you know fifty thousand for the wedding (laughs) yeah let's be honest like the the wedding is not really for the guy the guy like you could literally just do it in like your hotel and the guys are like all right whatever um because because when i was like like shadowing for this like mc guy you're basically managing emotions the entire time and there's actually a phrase for it called bridezilla have you heard of it? I have heard of it, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's like like the guys like are normally so chill. They're just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like whatever goes, you know. But like you'll see a lot of bridezillas. I'm like, man, I don't know how anyone gets into this type of business. Like you got to really love it or something. It but makes, there's a ton of money in it. Not really, man. You don't make that much money. Like, like unless you're like doing weddings for like celebrities, the you have to just pay off so many people. It's like such a heavy business it's not lean ah i see i see what you mean that's a business that needs a lot of technology in it but still there's like yeah yeah go on go on on. well that's just a business like you're just dealing so much with emotions you got to realize like like we're joking and we're saying like yeah guys really don't give a shit but for a lot of women like this is their one of the biggest moments of their life they've been planning it out so, like, you as the guy that's planning the wedding, you better have your, like, everything in check. If you're missing anything, like, if the music track isn't right, they will notice that and they will call you out. And they may, like, badmouth you and, like, hurt the reputation of your business to other people that are seeking to get married. Women really care about weddings. They've been planning it ever since they were children. Like, for us, you know, like, I, I don't give a shit about the party of the wedding, right? I'm like, okay. So I care more about this chick. If she's good enough, I'm going to live with her for a while now. <laughs> and the girl is like, the flowers better be perfect. And, you know, this, this I'm the princess today. And <laughs> for them, it's really, really important. Yeah. So this, this is how girls are wired. And I, I know some girls who were really upset after their wedding. Now they're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm never going to get like another 
celebration like this i'll never be a princess again like wait a minute like your marriage has just started what are you upset about <laughs> <laughs> almost like they got married to have a wedding they almost got married oh man some do man some do they're, they're like that's the like the picture and then once they get married they're just like all right like now what yeah man but i i will say that i don't blame them you know this mm-hmm. is just how they are and you know they care a lot about these things i think girls are they 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 care about a lot of things that guys would consider stupid right like an anniversary or a birthday like it's <laughs> dumb for me i mean i don't give a shit about my birthday but i know for girls it really matters so girls were like for example when i have my birthday girls were like give me like multiple gifts and give me gifts before my birthday on my birthday and this is your after birthday gift mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the note i wrote for you or th- and things like that so as a guy i'm like wait a minute i don't even give a shit about these what are you on about <laughs> but then you got to do the same thing for on their birthdays because they will feel bad harsh is writing notes and everything <laughs> Yeah, what I mean is, like, if you don't wish a girl on a birthday, she's gonna yeah. be really, really upset with you, and it's gonna show up for for a whole year. Oh yeah, like, you don't even wish me on my birthday. It's just like the wedding thing. Like, if someone invites you to uh, uh, their wedding, but you don't invite them to theirs, they're gonna be like, "Yo, what gives?" It's like with birthdays. It's like, wait a minute, I wished you happy birthday. Where's my uh, birthday call or my birthday text? Um, I wonder what guys have that like we're like really picky about that. girls don't give a fuck about at all. Do we have anything like that? Probably man, I've not thought about it. Let me think. Mm. Let me think too. The question is, can you repeat the question? Like what do we care about a lot but girls don't? Yeah. I think we care about like, you know, say for example, looking cool in front of our friends. Mm. sometimes like i don't like i think there's like some guys that like don't care about that at all they don't care at all to a point where they literally dress like a slob and stuff um but i i do get what you're saying in terms of accomplishments like they do care about that i noticed I guys think... like yeah guys like they care a lot about like the like the man i can't even phrase it correctly um i'm telling one thing that we care a lot about and they don't give a shit about Mm-hmm. how much you can squat no oh, you know, yeah much... there you go <laughs> wait a minute like for me it means a lot like you know i'm strong for example, right. like, who gives a shit like you look good that's fine like you don't need to like risk your back or your joints trying to lift heavy weights I'm like no bet shut up <laughs> <laughs> man that's actually a good thing like we should both think about it and just be like uh, cuz this is where you may need like an outsider's perspective you know cuz like we're guys we're probably like just too familiar with it or something that we consider just normal others may be like what like why do you even care about that for yeah i'll ask some girls this question let me see what answers i get yeah i'll, I'll do the same mm, let me think though this is a good train of this thought is a really, like, yeah, yeah man this is it a, gets you out of your head you know it gets you out of your regular way of thinking right right um Let me think too. Um, One thing I've noticed that girls don't care about is how much like, if you pay for everything. Like for guys, some guys will make an ego issue, but girls don't typically care if you make them pay every once in a while or ask them to pay. Like you get it, it's fine. At least in not in my experience. 
if you make the girl pay well okay okay let me actually ask you this because um what's your thoughts on paying on the first date typically i will pay because you know it's expensive and girls are broke like if i'm going out with a girl my age then i don't mind if she's a, she's like you know if she wants to pay half i don't give a shit about it mm-hmm. but typically i'll like go out with like a 22 year old 23 year old and you know it's they can't afford expensive places and i don't really want to go out to like cheap places so i just pay right i i'm the same way and that's more an emotional thing where like it's like if like the bill comes it's just like autopilot i pull out my wallet and the girl like will be like hey, i'll pay to and just like autopilot words i'm like no no i got it right uh, but there's a show called first dates uh you should check it out uh, it's a pretty funny show and every now and then like it's, it's like these different people that are meeting for the first time going on their date and at the end it's like everything is going well and then when the bill comes like the girls like looking nervous like what's going to happen a lot of times the guys will just be like i got it but every now and then the guys like okay so uh, i got this 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 you got this uh, <laughs> right hey, you got you don't do that don't do that man that's a dumb thing to do for bro, a guy bro and the girl just looks shocked she's like oh my god like this date was going so freaking well the entire time and now and he just like okay i got 45 dollars and you got 46 dollars can i get your debit card and then in the end you get to say like do you want to go on a second date with this person and she'll be like everything was going well until the bill came so this is one of those things where it's like i i don't necessarily know if girls make a big deal about it like later on in the dates like they'll probably pay especially if you're dating the person but on the first date i noticed like they're very like like uppity up about that and a lot of guys too they're like no 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 i'm going to pay the first date hmm in my experience at least here in india i've not had that in the sense yeah. that most girls will offer to pay some mm-hmm. girls will not take your money like some girls have have gone out with some girls who will not let you pay like they want to pay like they you know they have this thing in their head that they're you know and that's annoying to, to me that's annoying it's, it's a little annoying but you know after yeah. like, oh, fine you pay it's good Dude, <laughs> you i do it. not like i love it when the girls like oh, no 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 you know they'll do that first front like no 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 like which is like you know at least i'm putting in the effort i'm like no i got this she's like okay and she's very appreciative the appreciativeness part i like but but yeah this is one of those like not logical things like i'm very aware of that or like let's say you're going on a date with a girl that's like hardcore like men and women are equal on everything then the bill comes she's like you pay it right it's like you know it's like wait wait a minute this isn't all logical but then again like the humans aren't logical at the core you know to their credit almost every girl who has told me she's a feminist has paid the bill and she's paid the bill happily so let's give credit where it's due i've not had a feminist who claimed to be a feminist and didn't pay for the dinner not in the west bro trust me like uh, like a lot of the <laughs> girls that will be like i'm hardcore feminist they even expect you to cover the bill like and it's like like it's not a real big deal until you watch one of these shows and you're like wait a minute this is actually causing a lot of like people not to get the second dates cuz it's like seen as a big thing right it, like like you notice like when i like just pulled out the bill and i was counting like wait a minute i got like this 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 like there's so a certain repulsion like a girl feels and that's the funny thing about watching the show anyone who's curious it's called first dates yeah it kind of like it's a sucky what do you say sucky way to present yourself right where you're counting the whole thing i will say that 
you should definitely let girls pay every once in a while just to you know not have you paying for everything oh yeah and just to make sure that she isn't just using you so typically Absolutely. like every 2 3 days i'm like okay you get this one or she's offer and you, you know you only seem like an idiot if you make a big deal out of it but if you just naturally go as like okay i got this and you're like okay cool yeah and don't make a big deal out of it and you're fine yeah especially like date like 2 to 2 to 4 like i definitely agree with you there it's just like the first date i noticed like that's a very like it's one of those make or break issues like some of these dates harsh like you'll see everything is going well right the vibe is definitely there and then that one act at the end just ruins everything i'm like whoa i didn't know it was that big of a deal yeah it's a it's a cultural difference you know like in india some girls will not like they don't like getting paid for because then it creates some kind of obligation in their head mm-hmm. and they like having some independence so they want to pay their half or they want to pay the bill just so that they don't feel obligated to do anything for you in the future mm-hmm. and typically i've noticed that those girls are usually mentally healthy yeah at least in my experience where they don't want to create an obligation out of this date so they're like they're paying their half and they want to like take it slower they want to go out two three times before they do anything with you or for you and like i don't have an issue with it but i do find that you shouldn't be like the sucker you know you shouldn't always pay for every day <laughs> the sucker yeah no that's true i can't Sorry. think of anything else that we care about the girls so like at least i need to get more out of my head and get some third person opinions for this yeah this is one of those things where i believe we may have a blindness blindness to it ha huh, that's so interesting i mean yeah Like how big you are, definitely at some level, girls don't care. They care more about how cut you are, as opposed to how like how big you are. But that's not like a universal thing. Many girls also like big guys. Um, I notice like with guys though, like well, at least me, like I need like like that peace time. Like I I need to like every now and then like just be alone and like just recharge and stuff, and. Like I saw this one meme, it went viral a while back. Someone from our side of Twitter actually created it. It's like this girl was trying to roast this guy for like literally just having like a TV, uh, a mattress and a chair <laughs> and ah in his living room. <laughs> It's like haha, look at this guy like, you know, uh this guy like didn't even decorate his place. And then our, the guy from our side of Twitter is like men are or women are upset at how little it takes a man to be happy. Um So it's like what I got from that tweet was like I don't really need that much but I do need that one certain part of the day where it's like I have peace. I don't want to argue like that. I don't think anyone likes to argue but some relationships like the other partner likes to argue. Mind you, I'm just thinking out loud like cuz we didn't plan this topic at all. So I'm just like I wonder if like guys like really need like that certain block of like peace um or if it's that's just a human thing in general. I think girls need it too at least in my experience girls mm-hmm. need that time also mm-hmm. especially if they're like introverted they need like a lot of recharge time it's probably an introvert extrovert thing that I'm describing but I totally get the whole thing where guys are like 
at least my apartment at least my side of the apartment is not like fully decorated it's just very plain my one of the rooms is just a gym you don't have posters the, i don't have any posters no. <laughs> but i've been to girls apartments and they tend they tend to have teddy bears and you know paintings and things like that like teddy bears they have teddy bears on their bed I'm like you're 24 <laughs> okay okay so that doesn't count then like man we're gonna have to think about this bro like humans are just very different but i i did notice that like a lot of guys like a staggering amount really don't care about the weddings uh they don't care about their birthdays and stuff at all it's like you sometimes have to remind them it's like hey uh, it's your birthday it's like oh yeah yeah um um so i i really am curious about like what is the inverse of that if our listeners have anything to say please leave us a comment yeah leave us a comment man actually that could be uh one of the missing puzzle pieces and if there's any uh, like women listeners that we have like what what do you think it is um okay we have one more question and then we could wrap up the episode well we have mm-hmm. technically two questions uh, like this is a quick one so just answer it or not i'm from india llm can you tell me which hospital you done your LASIK? I'm planning to do so. I don't want to dox myself. Sorry, brother. Okay. Uh, next one is, would you advise me to work in a startup or start my own thing? I don't yeah. believe this question merits a response. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things I need like a little bit more context, Vivian. I mean... But uh, like, just for the sake of like me answering the question, like doing my best with what I have. Um, actually, I mean, not, like the dummy's response is work in a startup, get some experience, and then start your own thing. I mean, if uh, you're gonna force me to answer this, then I'm gonna say, <laughs> do what you think is best. <laughs> you're like, um, I don't think p- people know, but like, Life Math Money is like actually a really funny guy, like. Like, you have a, a comedy about you that's like very organic. It's a compliment. Yeah, it is a compliment because a lot of people like they don't have that side to them. But like, you know how to be like funny in a good sort of way. Um. So those are all the questions that we have. Anything else you wanted to discuss, homie? We made this a long episode today. No, brother. But yeah, good to see we have a four-hour episode. And it's 1 a.m. here. <laughs> <laughs> it was like an hour ago. You were like, I got to go. I just kept you. I just kept you on. Man, I like doing these, doing these episodes. These are a lot of fun to do. Let me sneak another hour out of you. No, <laughs> <laughs> we still got to break our five-hour record, man. One of yeah, these let's, days. One of these year. days. Yeah. Next year. Or maybe this year. Let's see. We'll but... See. All right, brother, let's see each other two weeks from now. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions that you want us to answer, please leave them in the comments. Please don't ask questions without any context and, you know, which can't really be answered like this guy about his working at a startup. Like, I, we don't know you, right? So give us some context. What are you, why are you asking a question? Like, what, what are you looking for? And yeah, I would be more than happy to answer you and so would Arman. Have a good day and we'll talk to you guys soon. See ya. All right. Take care, guys.